You are listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. Welcome to the Screamcast episode 129. I am Sean DeRager, and with me is Brad Henderson. Hi, Sean. How are you? Mmm, good. There's a few ways you can get a hold of us uh, while listening to the podcast. You can email us, readme at thescreamcast.com. You can drop us a line on Twitter, scream underscore cast. Or if you want to get on the show and uh, want to ask us something... Or if you have any comments or anything like that, you can call us. It's a Google voice number, 951-723-5586. Again, 951-723-5586. We'd love to have you guys as a part of the show more often. As you heard on our last episode, I included a couple of those. and It was really fun. So um, please give that a shot if you want to get a hold of us while listening to the podcast or anytime you ever have a question like, I wonder what Sean and Brad think about this, hit us up that way. And of course, if we get emails, we'll definitely love to read those on the show. But today we are talking uh, Scream Factory's release of Slumber Party 2 and Slumber Party 3. We'll also be talking uh, in Stream Screams, a William Lustig film that I had not seen called Relentless from 1989. And then we're going to be talking... A 1984 sex cheerleading dance comedy called Give Me an F. I know it's not horror, but you're going to want to stick around for that conversation. <laughs> but first, Brad, let's get going with our uh, What's on Your Doorstep. Holy cow, I almost forgot. We'll get the door. All right, I just have a few things, nothing too crazy. Um, I finally broke open my uh, Warner Archive Blu-ray of Body Snatchers from 1993, and it's been a long time since I've seen this, uh, directed by Abel Ferreira. Brad, have you talked about this on your on the segment before you watched it recently? Yeah, yeah, I talked about it. You did? Okay. Uh, man, anyway, a lot of fun. I, I like that all, I think you've talked about this, how every single one of these Body Snatchers movies has had something like original to offer, like where this one's more in like a military base. And, you know, um, the original, I don't know, they all seem to bring something different to the table, which is fun. Uh, the effects are pretty great. And, um, uh, it was just a lot of fun to check out after so, after so long. So since you've talked about it, I won't go in very further in there, but it looked great, man. Like, um, if you haven't seen it, it's definitely worth a watch. And um, I believe it's on their streaming channel. If you have Warner Archive has the streaming channel and um, it's pretty cheap. Like, you know, I'm not sure exactly sure the price under 10 bucks a month and uh, worth it. If you don't want to be buying a bunch of Blu-rays, everything that they offer is on there. So uh, if you want to do that, check it out. Um, by all means. I agree. They have a lot of stuff um, on deep, like, you know, you don't want to purchase their DVDs. Well, I mean, you do support them, but like they're $17.99. Those can get pretty costly. But yeah, if you want to, if, you, if there's not, a movie and you want to see if you like it, like, 
you know, paying ten, like paying like nine ninety nine a month or less, you know, to check out their, you know, their collection, see what you like, and that's great, you know, pay nine bucks, pay ten bucks or whatever, check out some movies, and then buy the stuff you like, and then, you know, I don't know, it's it's fun, it's a, it's, I like that combo. I'm picking up what you're laying down. <laughs> All right, next up, I finally watched the movie Arrival, and you talked about this a while back, and um, I, I loved it. I absolutely adored it. I was, uh, I'm a parent, so it hit me a little harder, I think, than some people. I think parents kind of get a little more out of it, I feel, and based on my conversations with a handful of people, but, um, but... All of that aside, that, that small, that, it's not a small part of the movie. It turns out to be a big part of the movie, but, um, it all kind of flows together. But just even like the sound design of the film, the look of the, the aliens, the, uh, communication scenes, the, the focus on, you know, language and, and things like that. Like I thought it had a lot to offer, a lot to bring to the ta- table. Um, Denise Villeneuve, Villeneuve. I don't know how to pronounce his last wow. name, but he, you know, but he did the movie Enemy, and he's did, and he did the movie Prisoners, and um, I actually haven't watched Prisoners yet. I need to get on that. Mm. But he's, I, I like him a lot. Like, I guess there's like a backlash now, people uh, trashing him. Um, Wait, why? Why are they um, trashing him? You know how it is. Like, it's same thing happened with freaking Hacksaw Ridge. Like, once something drops on Blu-ray that has gotten some critical acclaim, all of a sudden there's the people online just trashing it and then especially once something gets oscar nominations then they start trashing it even more well that's stupid but don't forget sicario he, he did sicario too oh yeah fuck Sicario's badass but um the way he you know the way he works with his cinematographer on his films there was a moment in arrival that was very much like a moment in enemy like visual wise so i know i really dig him i dig arrival a lot i like that they took an alien invasion thing and did make it more of a personal story, you know. Amy Adams is is great. Uh, it's fun seeing a uh, Forrest Whitaker seems to have been a lot more movies lately, and I, I dig it a lot. More Forrest, please. Don't forget the writer is a horror writer too. He did. Uh, he wrote the remake. Well, sorry, I always say that. Well, I can say remake. He wrote the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street. He wrote the sequel to the thing. People always confuse that as a remake, but that's <laughs> or a prequel. Actually, sorry, it's a prequel. And then he wrote Lights Out. Oh shit, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So good job. Yeah. So now he's like being nominated for an award, which is pretty badass. And Final Destination Five, which is oh. one of the best Final Destinations. Yeah. If you haven't checked out Arrival yet, uh, check it out, and we'd love to love, you know love to hear your thoughts. It's a cool combination of like hard sci-fi and more of a drama blended together it's not uh you know if you want to watch a crazy an alien invasion movie watch independence day you know what i mean no don't <laughs> depending on who you are and well you know a good um alien invasion movie that i personally love is uh battle los angeles yeah agreed that got shit on but that's a badass flick yeah it's got emotion it's got some great uh special effects and stuff oh, and i was surprised that i liked it as much as i did I did that one a lot. So if you, you know, there's, there's those movies out there, but this is not that, but it's, it's great. And then some people were complaining that it wasn't super hard sci-fi and they're like, why don't they go into how they created the language more and everything? And it's like, you, 
Because everyone would freaking be bored to tears. Like that's like watching Deep Water Horizon. <laughs> Start talking about drilling and shit. You don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Oh hey, we're gonna go drill over here. Is there a transformer over there in the in the water? It's gonna explode the oil rig. It's getting worse and worse. I know. If, it's, if we're recording pretty early in the morning for me, it's like, it's like there's just <laughs> no way anything's gonna work. But uh, arrivals fantastic. I you know teared up in the first five minutes, and at the end when everything comes together, it's uh, it, it is a you know it is a gut punch in the best possible way. So um, I like movies like that. And movies that can deliver deliver on honest emotion. I'm always uh, I'm always down. Um, next up, I watched a Chinese film. It's the uh, of of Mulan, believe it or not. Mulan. Mulan. There's always talk about a Disney remake, a Disney live action remake, right, of their cartoon. And they keep saying, oh, we're going to cast uh, Asian uh, actors and it's going to be, you know, authentic to, you know, the culture. Well, there is a Mulan movie already authentic to the culture and actually about the real story. It's called Mulan Rise of a Warrior. Um, it's a Chinese financed film. And these these films are always like, depending on them like they're kind of a little more like this is a little more you know here's the character and then this happened that's the one that came out like it was like 2009 in some of these movies it gets very clinical i guess with telling the story um but there's always like great costumes and some great battle sequences um if you're interested in in the the actual story it's probably the best way to see it uh other than like actually reading history and stuff like that but um it was pretty interesting. Like I said, it's more of a clinical treatment of the story, which is fine, but it, it didn't, it wasn't as cinematic as it could have been. But, um, if you don't want, like, you know, talking dragons and, you know, songs, uh, this is probably the best way to, to digest that material. I would say rent it if you ever find it. I think I saw that a while ago. Someone sent me a copy of it, and, uh, I honestly, I can't remember it. I think it went by so, like, very forgettable. Yeah, it's a clinical treatment of the story, which is a shame. But the uh, costumes are great, and the the lead actress is pretty great. But but yeah, you're you're right. If you're interested in the subject, it's definitely worth a watch. If you're not, and you're wanting some like war movie, unfortunately, it, it doesn't deliver on on that. Uh, next up, I started subjecting myself to the Da Vinci Code movies. Why? This is an example of the worst possible way to adapt a book. Let's ignore anything cinematic and let's not bring anything cinematic to the table and make any changes. Let's adapt the book word for word uh, and have them go to a, like a library and read books. And dear God almighty, how do these make so much money? I still have to watch the other two because I, I, was, I was like, I need to finish what I started, but I have no no desire to finish to watch Angel and Demons or <laughs> Inferno. There's there are three of them. Yes, Inferno just came out on Blu-ray. <laughs> I think I think I've seen the Da Vinci Code, but that I I don't remember anything about it, and I'm and I'm happy I don't. It's so uncinematic. It's like reverse boner. It's like when you go into the ocean, it's super cold, and your 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 penis goes inside your body. It's like mm. that. Basically, I love penises inside my body, so I might want to watch it. <laughs> it's it's awful. Uh, how is there three of these? Like, how? I mean, I don't understand how people would watch this and go, "Yeah, it's pretty good." But uh, you know, the subject matter is interesting. Like the thing about like 
about Dan Brown in these novels is like they're fun, you know, they're air, airplane books. They're fun. They're, they're good to read. There's a lot of information there and there's interesting stuff being talked about, but it does not make for a good movie. And, um, just cause you have an albino monk whipping himself, uh, that, you know, that gets old fast and you need to do more than, and you need to do more than just visiting, uh, very beautiful locations like the, the, uh, the Louvre things like that. But anyway, I'm, I'm going to finish where I started. I will report back on the other two, um, but it's not looking good so far. And finally, um, my wife and I watched Doctor Strange, and <laughs> I'm not going to spend too much time on it. I think I'm Marvel fatigue is hitting me because while it's pretty and I know my kids will like it, I was just, it was like paint-by-numbers Marvel movie, and I was really disappointed by it like i was hoping like with c robert cargill and with scott derrickson like you know you know the writers of sinister right and director of sinister that it would be something you know really special and there's a few moments that i feel that their filmmaking shines through in a couple moments but ultimately i feel like they were you know this was a studio movie for them there's nothing uh, there's no stamp of a re- of individuality on the film from the director. Like Guardians of the Galaxy, very much James Gunn's thing, and Marvel's letting him go. When it's a when it's a smaller director, you know that they're being you know, led around by by uh, kids like Kevin F- Feig. I guess it's just you know this could have been like a cool horror fantasy you know type film like with a lot of cool stuff. It's just paint by numbers, and like they made him into Iron Man like. He's a dick. Like Doctor Strange is a dick. And like I said, I hope he died in that car accident right away. <laughs> he should have just. Really have well, he should. He should have died because that was an awful car wreck. But they they turn him into freaking Iron Man. He's supposed to start like be a bit cocky, but he's supposed to turn in this character through all of his through his training and stuff. That's a more like wise and even tempered and stuff. He's just an asshole through the entire movie. Uh, although he becomes becomes like a good guy asshole. And, uh, there is a moment in the finale that, uh, I'm treading lightly if you want to see it, but it's very much, um, Scott Pilgrim, same exact shit. You don't even know. It's not a spoiler, right? No, it's fine. Just move along. No one cares about this movie. Especially if you don't like it. That's it for me. (laughs) Wait, that's it? That's all I got. You don't have any more? I feel like we haven't recorded like in six months. It's been like a week. Uh, By the way, everyone, thank you for those of you who tuned in live to our YouTube show. Uh, really appreciate it. It's a lot of fun. Stick around. We will have Patreon information towards the end of the show. But right now, I want to hear what Brad, what's on Brad's doorstep. Too much. Um, we talked about like the bad part about these Vestron titles is that we've covered a lot of them on, uh, like, stream screams and... Uh, we were ahead of the game, motherfuckers! Yeah, I don't want to spend uh, too much time on them, because we've already... We have entire shows on them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I got around to uh, getting uh, Parents and uh, Lair of the White Worm, which I've watched Lair of the White Worm again. <laughs> this, is, this is my fourth time watching this movie. 
and I can officially say I am not a fan. I know you oh, are. Oh man! All right, fair but enough. But I just, I, I just can't get into it. I mean, it's got some cool effects, and it's weird because I don't like it. Um, because I usually like this type of stuff, and I, I like Ken Russell quite a bit. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I'm just, I, I just can't really uh, get into it. But I, I tell you what, um. You know, I know these titles are, you know, high priced. Yes, they mm-hmm. are the same basically transfers as they are on Voodoo. Um, but they are trying to do a decent job of putting special features on here. Yes, they pulled up some special features from the old disc, mainly because, I mean, Ken Russell's dead. So what else do you expect? Um, you know, they, they pulled in a commentary from him. Uh, they, but they also did, uh, you know, a visual effects um stuff on here and the interviews I thought were uh, I, I wanted to watch the one with it uh, looks his name is Peter Davies the editor and it's a uh, uh, kind of interview called cutting for Ken so what it's like mm. working with Ken Russell who is such cool. a prominent filmmaker and and well known um, and it's just like you know you, you would think that he's kind of a dick it, I mean he kind of is but at the same time like i don't know he just runs a very tight ship you can tell which was uh which was pretty cool um it just it seems like ken russell never got his like stardom during his career it was after his career that's what it feels like um and he also directed that movie that we talked about last one of the last shows called horror um one of those 90 sleazy, yeah. uh, steamy dramas. Um, but yeah, I, I gave it another shot. Um, I, I do think people, I, I mean, if you haven't seen it, I highly suggest it because I know I'm on the, I'm in the minority with Lair of the White Worm. So I highly suggest picking it up, even though I'm not a fan. I, I, I know when I'm wrong. And I admit <laughs> I'm wrong. I know I'm wrong. That happens to me, but like opposite with like movies that I know are shit, but I like. Yeah, I mean, I I don't I don't like to <laughs> tell like I I hate those people that don't like a movie and they they try to talk everybody out of watching yeah, it. Yeah, I yeah. will never ever ever do that unless it's Deepwater Horizon, um, <laughs> which is my mortal enemy of a movie. Uh, and then next up, Bob Abilene's, uh Parents, which we talked about again on Stream Scream, so won't spend too much time. Yeah. Um, aside from you know, I mean, mainly it's the special features on on these um, on these discs that they're putting together. And I mean, I mean, I imagine that's where the cost is uh, coming from of uh, you know how much these movies are. I think there's a combination. I think it's the uh, the special features, um, them, and they're trying to kind of keep up with the price of like arrows and criteria like yeah sometimes there's a perceived value if you keep something at a certain price and i think that's what they're doing i think with the gate especially man that sucker was is like still like 30 bucks and it's like ah god damn it and they're playing to the collector's market if it wasn't for these fucking stupid ass collectors we wouldn't have this issue <laughs> i mean they're coming they're all coming with slip covers they all look identical they have numbers on the spine. They look really good. They have collectors series at the top. They put the. They don't do. A, they don't do. A, they don't do a Lionsgate movie. They do. They resurrect the Vestron label. Dude, they're they know their audience, man. It's super smart. <laughs> it sucks for people like us that want it for the movies because these collectors have kind of ruined this market. 
as far as, uh, you know, for us, what it costs. Cause I want to watch the movie. These people, they like put their movies like in shrink wrap. Have you, ever, have you seen those people yet? They re-shrink wrap their movies and put them on the shelf and wait, then they wait, don't wait, wait. watch them again. Like re-shrink, like total shrink wrap. Like not like little baggies, like a comic book. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like sleeves. Yeah. Like sleeves, but they seal. Oh. And like, I have a friend that does it too. I have I have plastic on my records. Records make sense because you're taking them off the shelf. You're playing them. You're watching them over and over. These people, like, they're I see them on the groups. They're like, "Hey, check out this site. You can get a hundred of these bags that seal." And everybody's like, "Yeah!" <laughs> and it's like, "Wait a second. I want to watch the movie a hundred times." Like, but anyways, these are plastic discs, and they're in plastic cases. And some of them, if you're are on, have cardboard slipcovers. Like, they're protected. Everybody. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird, but there's plenty, plenty of um, featurettes on this on this disc. Um, you know, you have auto audio commentary by Bob Babylon, and they also did an isolated score on Ooh. this one, which a lot of discs don't do anymore. But uh, Parents is a fun one. Listen, listen to our old episode; we talk yeah. about it in depth. Those isolated movie scores are are fun. I haven't thrown one on in a while but um sometimes i'm like just bullshitting around i'll throw on a movie if i like the score and the isolated score and it's just a lot of fun because you you know it, it you it, it's really really uh really really cool option yeah i i I, di- I dig it when they do that twilight time seems to do that on every single one of the movies don't they that was like kind of the one thing that i was like that's kind of cool mm, i don't buy did. too many twilight time movies. no neither do i those things are too goddamn expensive um, next up was, I, this is one of these movies that I saw clips of and watched a little bit like on TNT and stuff when I was little, but actually never watched the film in its complete entirety from start to finish. Um, I got around to, um, Red Dawn. This <laughs> is the movie that, where I talk about how good versus nostalgia you might like this movie because you watched it as a kid, but this movie's kind of garbage. It, it it really is. Uh, and I know people are like, right now, they're like, oh, Red Dawn's a classic. At, right now, they're smashing their phones because of you. Yeah, and, and it's fine. I, like, Fuck I, you, Brad. <laughs> I, get, I get why people do that, but I think that we all often confuse um, nostalgia and they're like, oh, it's so good. No, it's not really there's so many fucking stupid moments in this movie. They're littered with stupid moments. Yes, there are some good moments, too. I agree. Uh, but there's more more bad than good. Um, the fact that these, like, seven teenagers are taking down 100-man compounds in the movie <laughs> is just absolutely absurd. I get that it's supposed to be fun, but if they should have aimed small for right. these attacks like you know the three guys that are on like the first attack when the three guys are out there and he's misreading um you know the the plaque and then they stumble around and like jennifer gray's like shooting into the air and like they like like they kill the three the one guy's all bloodied up in the in the truck and patrick swayze kills him i love that attack I thought that was very good. It was very effective. It was very unorganized. You could tell that they were nervous. But that's the way a lot of them should have been because these kids are fucking 15, 14, 15 years old, supposedly. And, like, now they're taking down – now they're all fucking Rambo. <laughs> Um, and it doesn't, and it, doesn't make, it doesn't make a bit of sense. And I, I really hate that. And then you have the lead villain 
who is like very mean and sinister. But at the end of the film, he like has that change of heart where he's like, good job. Thanks for killing all my guys. You can go. It's like, what the fuck, man? Like make up your mind. The movie doesn't know what it wants to be. And yes, there are some like really great moments. you know, when, um, you know, Charlie Sheen is hands the dishes to Leah Thompson and says, make yourself useful. And then she's like, we're just as good as any of you, which I thought was pretty good. Um, you know, I thought some of the death sequences with, with the teens were pretty great. Um, but it's just, it, it's just a really silly, uh, movie. And there's just, John Milas might've done apocalypse now, but this guy is off his rocker with this movie. And I just, I just don't think it's good. Yeah. No, this is actually one that I agree with you on nostalgia versus being good. Cause I recently watched this. I have, I've had this on Blu-ray. I don't, I'm not rebuying this. I'm not spending $25 on Red Dawn again. But it's just shout select, Sean, and they oh, have the n- number on the side. Oh, so this is what I'm talking about. This is my main beef with Screen Factory right now is they're releasing a bunch of stuff that I already own on Blu-ray that I'm totally happy with. Like, oh, but there's more special features, and oh, it's a new transfer. It's like, well. No, there's no new transfer on this movie. It's not. Okay, I'm totally happy with the copy I have. It looks like garbage, to be honest with you. Okay, well, um, but anyway, the back to the nostalgia thing, like, you know, there's a few movies where that ha- like that's happened. Um, uh, the never ending story, I 100% can get, like, that's nostalgic for me, but it's not a good film. Like, it's not, you know, if watching it into, as an adult. My kids love it. I love it from that point. Red Dawn is another one where it's, it's just, as a kid, I watched the hell out of that thing, and, you know, I, I'm totally nostalgic for it, but yeah, it's not, it's not good. I thought that I liked it. No, and me too. And the last time I watched it, I was like, ah, damn it. <laughs> this isn't that good. Yeah. I remember <laughs> like seeing clips and was like, man, this movie's so good. And that's one of those movies that I thought I've seen for years. And then when it came out, I was like, wait a second. I have actually never seen this all the way through. So we agree on this one. I mean, I, I, mean, I still like it is, but it's based off nostalgia. Yeah. It's garbage. It's it's garbage. If you like it, I mean, it's, you like think it. it's garbage. <laughs> that's that's a bit harsh. It's just one of those movies that people go nuts over. It's like Karate Kid. Karate Kid's garbage too. Oh, shut up! Um, you shut your whore mouth. You know, I said that on the uh, Splat House, and Sarah wanted to fight me, <laughs> and she said she hasn't seen it since she was like ten. And I was like, Yeah, exactly. Karate Kid, man, we're gonna go on a tan. We gotta be careful we don't get into a, a rabbit hole here. But Karate Kid, like Daniel's a dick. Like he's an he's an asshole the whole movie and he and he he rightfully so should be getting his ass kicked but he's like the hero and then he cheats at the end to win yeah no I mentioned that yeah I think it's <laughs> I think the I think the movies yeah, I but I, love I don't him, like them no I I I love Karate Kid though man I I still think it's good my kids love it too so that's garbage <laughs> uh, I wanted to talk about this one uh, real quick won't spend too much time on it because we've. I've talked about it a lot, but it's out now, and I see a lot of people watching it, and I see a lot of people not liking it. <laughs> um, it's uh, We Are the Flesh came out on Arrow. Um, this is uh, their is that is that first. the where the brother um, gets a blowjob from his sister? Uh, We're gonna yes, kill that joke to death. Um, no, no, no. It's it's always appropriate. <laughs> um, this is their first contemporary release. I think they've done. Um, they're going to have another one of a documentary on Arrow Academy, but I think this is their first contemporary, right? I think for a U.S. release, yeah. I know that they did that one Ryan Reynolds right. movie where he's like a psychopath. 
Oh yeah, which yeah I but, liked, uh, but I can't remember the name of it right okay. now. Yeah, voices, the voices, voices. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I I understand why people don't like it, just because <sighs> there's not a lot of context to it. There's not a lot of there's not really a story. It's very experimental, but I don't know. That's the reason why I like it. And plus, like people, I keep seeing people that are like, I couldn't do it. I couldn't make it through. It's like once the graphic starts starts ha- graphic stuff starts happening, they're turning it off. And I see a lot of people turning it off. And if you do that, uh, number one, that's stupid. Uh, number two, the ending is what actually turns this movie completely around. Because when I was watching it in the theater. I was like, uh, this is fine. This is okay. I enjoy this for being so weird, but is there really a fucking point? And once the ending happens, you're like, holy fucking shit. That's crazy as shit. Um, but anyways, uh, watch it. That's why watching things in the theater is so, like, if you can, is so important because you're automatically a captive audience. Like, you can't go anywhere. I mean, you can be, a, you know, be an asshole and walk out halfway through the film. But everyone will see you walk out, you know, and, but like the problem with home movies is you can pause them, take a break, come back to it, you know, watch them at home. You don't have that captive audience. Yeah. And, you know, when I, whenever, if there's a movie I really want to see, I really, I, I lock myself into, into my, my room and I freaking turn my phone off. I throw the phone in the other room and I sit and I watch it all the way through, hopefully with minimal interruptions. But, but yeah, I mean, people who just turn a movie off and give up, give up on it. Um, it's like, I don't know. Give the give the movie a chance, and if you hate it by the end, all right, you hated it. Yeah, I hate the um the like five like the ten minute rule or fifteen minute rule that people do. <laughs> like, I think I think I just I can't get into that because I've watched movies where um where sometimes the last like We Are the Flesh is a perfect example. I thought the movie was eh, but once the ending happened. It changes the movie completely now. Now I'm like, holy shit, like watching it again, I'm like, oh my God, this is so crazy because I know what's going to happen. I know, right, yeah, I yeah. know what's coming. Um, it's a lot more fun the second, uh, second time around. So cool. I can't wait to show people to piss them off. Um, <laughs> next up was an arrow release of the trilogy. I've been waiting on this for quite some time. Um, is the Black Society trilogy. Uh, three films that are kind of intertwined. Um, in a way, but they're not really sequels, is the Sinjinku Triad Society, uh, Rainy Dog, and Ley Lines. Um, each film is a different take, kind of like the underworld of, uh, not really Yakuza, but kind of uh, assassins and the mafia. Um, so Rainy Dog is the... Rainy Dog is about a assassin who is in um, uh, Taiwan. Um, Shinjinku Triad Society is about the teenagers, and Ley Lines is about the... Is it Ley Lines? I, I, sometimes this is the problem. I get them, I get them uh, <laughs> confused a little bit. Um, yeah, Shinjinku Triad Society is about the cops, and then uh, Ley Lines is um, uh, about yeah a kid that goes back to uh, J- Japan. It's 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 kids that go back to Japan, um, and then they run into a very very uh, bad bad dude. 
Um, a bad ombre. They're all, they're all bad ombre. They're all like the way, like Nikkei has so many movies. He has over a hundred films um, and certain films, like he hits every note correctly. And some movies he's about 50% there. And then just some films, he just completely misses his mark a hundred percent. And these are three films that he hits home on each one. Um, because he's able to tell these stories in such a really grimy and um, dirty way. Uh, they're very, very violent. Um, they, the, the scores are fantastic. Um, Mike can really show a different side of, instead of like the clean Yakuza films that we've had, and kind of the Yakuza gangster films from the 60s and 70s and 80s, he's able to tell this, like, really dirty, and everything's, like, really dark and grimy and rainy, and, like, you just don't want to be there. <laughs> and neither do these characters. They they just get into shit where they can't get out of. Um, like, there's a, <laughs> there's a gay crime boss, um, and he, like rapes his uh victims like the male guys to order to get information out of them and they're like super weird and like oh man it's just like watching even watching the trailer i think to um to uh like rainy dog is just there's some moments in that trailer i was watching i was like oh my god i can't believe they actually showed this like a trailer in like because there's a dude with like come on his face and shit it's like oh i know i i, I know but it's, it's just like that's like but it, it's totally appropriate for the films because that's how the films are there i mean we're not talking about like action movies like a better tomorrow or some john woo flick we're talking about like realism like these movies are completely like a hundred percent could happen and mm-hmm. probably did happen no one knowing the shit goes on with uh you know fucking japanese gangsters and shit like that if we have any gang uh japanese gangsters or ex-gangsters listen to the show let me know and let me know <laughs> if this shit really happens um but they're they're very dramatic uh they got uh, some great stories they have great acting um i mean i think it's great acting you ever notice that like are these act like People in, you know, when you're watching a film from a different country, are they good actors? Because we don't understand the dialect and the delivery. Right. Like, you ever notice that? Like, people, like, I don't think there's any actors that from a, like, a foreign film where I'm like, they suck, (laughs) you know? I wonder if that's, (laughs) like, that's kind of the benefit of watching foreign films is that we, we don't understand the delivery we're reading. So, like, (laughs) but to me, like, I don't think, I can't think of any foreign actors yeah. that are bad well that's the problem is like we're our, our eyes are fixated on the subtitles so we're missing almost half of the visual information sometimes well you know but you're but you're 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 listening and you know it's like mm-hmm. uh you know i i was uh <laughs> i remember since we talked about a nightmare in elm street um there's a part in the film where the one of the kids is talking about his dream he's like it's so real <laughs> and I just, I cracked up because I was like, oh my God, number one, that's a dumb line. That was the worst delivery. But, you know, we don't hear that when we're watching foreign yeah. films. We just, we just hear a different language. Um, so <laughs> we say good actors, but I don't know. 
Like, I don't know if they are, you know? But, I mean, they seem like they're great. Um, you know, Mika uses the same people over and over again. And there's one guy in this in the, this trilogy that shows up who plays a different character each time, which I think is pretty pretty fantastic. Um but they're very, uh, they're very, uh, um, very dramatic. They're, some of them are sad. Um, like I said, they're hyper violent at times. Mike knows how to do hyper violence, which is fantastic. So give that a shot. Uh, you, you won't be disappointed. Um, now to the wild eye section real quick. We need to create a, I need to create a jingle for the wild eye, uh, segment every week. Uh, I love Wild Eye. I've said that countless times. Last last uh, episode, we had I, I had some really good shit by Wild Eye. Uh, this one um, is called Twenty Four Hours to Die. Uh, it's um, I forget how many people are in this room. Uh, Twelve people. Um, uh, it's a, a room that's completely bare, just with twelve people waking up periodically, and uh, one of them has a cell phone. Um, and they don't, it's not their cell phone, but they're getting, uh, information on how to, uh, what to do. And it's basically, they're put in for a game, um, to see who will do what and when, and if they don't do it, a virus will be released into the kind of the, the building. Well, I think all of them are infected with the virus when they, when they say that, but I guess there's a way to trigger like the people that are running it or is a way to trigger the virus. And then you like start becoming like a, like a rage zombie or something like that. Um, but there's a reason for it, which I thought was pretty cool because once we actually get to this, like the actual story, which is maybe about an hour into the film, we realize what they're actually in there for, which there is a purpose. So I know that people are always like, Oh, you know, those movies when they, there's a lot of movies like this and there's got to be a, a reason and purpose. Um, it's a very, it's sci-fi on a budget. Um, so if you like that type of shit, pick it up. Um, it has, it has a pretty decent story around it. Uh, next up, oh, man, I like this movie because they made it. I didn't really care for the film all that much. Um, it's called Wolf House, and it has a slipcover, which Wild Eye usually doesn't do. But oh. you hear that? It's a slipcover. Right now, all our collectors just busted a nut hearing the slipcover. <laughs> oh. People can't see it, but I'm going to show Sean, and I'll describe <laughs> it. This person's mouth is open, and a wolf is coming out of the person's mouth. Um, it's nothing like that. Um, well, it kind of, a little bit. So it's a found footage film, which Sean loves. Um, it's about a bunch of friends that are on a capping trip who go hunting. Uh, one of them takes a shot at something moving, and he's like, oh, my gosh, I killed Bigfoot. And it looks like, uh, you know, Bigfoot looks like Sasquatch. They tie it to the top of the roof and take it home, Harry Henderson style. <laughs> uh, once they get it into the house, uh, they slowly realize that that is not a Sasquatch. It is a werewolf. Um, and then they are attacked through the night by werewolves and something else. Oh. Um, I have to give the film props because the found footage was handled really, really well. Um, of between logic of putting down the camera and moving and, um, and they didn't use special effects for the werewolf. And there's a lot of werewolves, but it's, 
it's people like in costumes, but it's like blatantly known that like they are just like really awful costumes. Um, <laughs> and like there's like they're standing on all fours, but obviously the the front legs are like stilts. So like when they're putting their feet down, like the feet are very straight and they actually don't meet the floor. And it just it looks really, really awful. So they basically had a party city budget for their costumes. They had ten dollars for these <laughs> costumes. And but I tell you what, I appreciate that more than some wonky CGI in a found footage wow. movie. So I can give them that. Um so yeah. CGI should never be used in a found footage film. Like, never, ever. Because you can always tell. Like, even more than a regular film. It's too noticeable. Yeah. Next up, real quick, is uh, Operation Avalanche, directed by the very, 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 very young uh, and talented um, uh, Matt Johnson. Uh, Matt Johnson did a movie called The Dirties, which I talked about um, a few episodes or a few episodes a long time ago. It played at Fantastic Fest. Um, I talked about it when it came out on VOD. Um, The Dirties is absolutely amazing. It is a documentary um, style found footage movie, but it's more or less these kids are filming themselves because it's about one week and they're going to shoot up their school. And it's them (laughs) talking about what they're going to do, who they're going to kill. And it's very, very like, it never crosses the line, but when you're watching it, you're like, holy shit, this is really fucking scary. Um, But it's like, he's, it's very funny too. That's the weird part. So anyways, this is his follow-up called Operation Avalanche, which is, um, uh, same thing. It's kind of a documentary style found footage, uh, thing, um, you know, mockumentary about the fake of the moon landing, <laughs> which is very, very, very cool. Um, and you know, like the Stanley Kubrick thing behind it. It's just it, like everybody knows kind of the, the backstory of how the, you know, there's a, obviously a rumor that the moon landing was fake. Well, this is a documentary mockumentary about that. Um, so none of it's real. It's just, it's the way they tell. Or you, maybe you think it's not real, but maybe it is real. I saw a YouTube documentary and it's real. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's whatever. Um, no, man, I'm, 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 this actually sounds really cool. Like I, I really want to check it out. Yeah. He's a really like, He's just a young kid. I, I met him at Fantastic Fest when he was there for the Dirties, and I mean, he's like twenty-two years old. And he made, you know, he made the Dirties when he was like in high school. And um, you know, I'm like looking, and I was like, "Damn, dude!" Like he takes these. And the thing is, is the Dirties are made is made for film geeks because he's a total film geek. So like, you have him quoting movies throughout the film. And like they're watching violent movies in order to like be like, oh, this is what we'll do is like, you know, we'll be like in the usual suspects, you know, and we'll just walk into the school and be like, blah, 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 blah. And like they go over lines about what they're going to do and like how they're going to kill people. And it's just, wow. and it's just really, I know that sounds like people are like, oh my God, but it's not, it's heavy, but it's, it's not as heavy as it sounds. 
Um, but Operation Avalanche is a completely different animal, um, but it's it, it's really good. And last but not least, this is a film that I watched a, a long time ago, um, and it always stuck with me. And um, Film Movement, they're doing some good work. Uh, film Movement released it on Blu-ray. Um, it's called Once, uh, Once We're Warriors. And it's about, uh, it takes place in New Zealand of a New Zealand family that has a drunk, um, or not drunk, an alcoholic and abusive father. And it's a, it's a bigger family. And, um, it's basically, it's a family drama. It's very, 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 very heavy. Um, it, it really hurts to watch it. Like it sucks. Like it's such a good movie. But it it sucks so much to watch it because it, how heavy it is. I mean, it goes from abuse to sexual abuse to, um, you know, uh, just f- family stuff to to family drama. And um, there's uh, when I say sexual abuse, there is uh, you know a kid a kid involved, um, and it's just really like it's really really hard to watch, but it's a really good movie. Like it, it really rips your heart out, but it's so well done that, um, Lee, I can never pronounce his last name. Um, like it's his middle name, I think is Lee and that's what people call him. But his name is, um, Timura Morrison. I know that name might not sound familiar, but once you look him up, you're like, Oh shit, he's in everything. Um, but it's just uh <laughs> i was reading the the back the the poll quote that they one of the um poll quotes was a relentless sledgehammer of a film and that's pretty much what it's like i mean that film hits you right in the fucking face in the gut and man it's a fucking hard watch but it's good it's good and a good transfer too very nice we are going to be talking about the slumber party massacre series specifically two and three out now on blu-ray from scream factory and then we'll be talking about relentless from william lustig and a cheerleading sex comedy give me an f as a part of our vhs oh my god segment but first we need to jump into our news segment with josh obershaw all right josh obershaw joins us with this week's news Josh, uh, as usual, I'm in the dark because I don't pay attention to all this stuff. So what uh, what has happened this week that you can let us know about? Oh, that's cool because, you know, that's my job. It's, it's my job to keep tabs on all of this stuff. And um, it's been another light week this week, much like the last show that we did. But there's still some exciting stuff. We got some news on Vinegar Syndrome's April package. We mentioned before Psycho Cop 2, a.k.a. Psycho Cop Returns, was going to be part of was going to be an upcoming release that's coming out on april the whole package is coming out on april 25th and you can get it for 40 percent off until april fool's day then 30 percent off until the 10th oh wait excuse me 35 percent off until the 10th and 30 percent off until the street date now here's the interesting thing you can actually get uh there's a version of the package where it's just the Blu-rays, Psycho Cop Returns, and a thriller called Double Exposure, you can get just those, and not the Pono, you know, <laughs> which are going to be, which are DVD only. Uh, one of them's called Hot Flashes. The other one's another Picarama. It's a double feature of Ladies Night and Her Wicked Ways. 
So you can skip those and okay. just get the two Blu-rays, and that's going to be 30% off until the street date. So that's your April package. They should call that the Sean special because I, I asked them to stop sending me the porn. <laughs> <laughs> Look, not that there's anything wrong with it. Sometimes I guess they're taking a cue from that. Some of us, you know, we just don't need them in the, in the collection. I got little kids who are starting to browse my collection. I don't, you know, I, you know, I don't need that. But, no, that's cool. Like, options are good. You know, just like with listeners on the on the on the podcast, people have been like, "Oh, that's kind of weird. You guys are talking porn." <laughs> you know, we're talking about those packages. <laughs> so it's it's cool that there's an option because not you know not everyone is you know wants those. So that's that's fine. So tip of the hat to uh, the gentleman over at Vinegar Syndrome for the options. And yeah, the price is good if you if you you know have a Blu-ray budget and you want to check these out. Um, the the package thing is great. You don't even have to think about it. You just know that every month you're going to get the Vinegar Syndrome releases, which is fantastic. Uh, moving on, we've got a couple of non-sploitation movies coming out from Severin, and the release date for that is April 11th, five days before Easter, which is hilarious and awesome. <laughs> uh, one of them is called Dark Waters. It's from 1993. It was directed by a guy named Mariano Baino. There's a lot of bonus features on that. It's li- They're listed on, on the site. And some of them include three short films that were made by the same director, too. The other one, the other movie we've mentioned before, it's called uh, The Other Hell, also known as Guardian of Hell, directed by our our friend Bruno Mattei. <laughs> and uh, not a whole lot of bonus features for that, but, but there's one, there's an audio commentary with the writer, Claudio Fragasso, who everybody knows because he made Troll 2. <laughs> but anyways... <laughs> So that's what's coming out from Severn on April 11th. And uh, this is probably old news to a lot of people right now, but um, I just wanted to let people know that there is going to be a limited three-disc set of Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Mm -hmm. That one is coming out on April 24th. And uh, Cinespectral is going to be putting that one out. And what's interesting about that, one of the discs... The two Blu-ray discs, one of them is U.S., one of them is region-locked huh. for Europe. And the DVD is also region-locked for Europe. But there is going to be a U.S. – there's going to be a disc that you can play. So it's not completely region-blocked. I mean, it is an import, right? but you can still play it on your machine. Now, at, at this time, are they the only company that's releasing Elvira? I I I could have sworn some other company was going to do it, but maybe I just you know got confused. And, and Cine, is it Cinespectra? Cinespectral. Cinespectral. I, I for some reason I thought that like some one of the bigger labels had were going to be releasing this, but I, I guess I'm totally wrong. Yeah, the the last big uh, label that put it out was Anchor Bay. Okay. Like a long time ago. But yeah, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, April twenty fourth. Big fan. I've never seen it, which may be shocking, but yeah, I missed out on that. It's fun. It's a goofy comedy. It's it's a fish out of water type comedy, but it's you know it's Elvira. Of course. <laughs> I mean, come on, you know. <laughs> and from here on out, we've got a whole bunch of uh, Screen Factory news. Well, most of it's Shout Factory, but a couple of Screen Factory updates I want to let you know about. We have a list of bonus features on the website for Tales from the Hood, which is coming out on April eighteenth. The highlight, of course, is Welcome to Hell, the making of Tales from the Hood. It's got a bunch of interviews with the likes of Rusty Kundiev. I hope I said his name right. Uh, actors Corbin Brunson and Wings Hauser. There's also interviews with the Chioto brothers. 
and it's a pretty long doc too. It's 56 minutes. So that's the, oh, cool. That's like the main feature. Uh, it has also commentaries, a vintage featurette, all the usual things you would find with the uh, screen factory stuff. And uh, there's a lot of bonus features that are going to be on virus, which is coming out May 2nd. I'll be glad to upgrade this. Yeah, because there's plenty of interviews, audio commentaries. There's even vintage featurettes. And there's one featurette called Men, Monsters, and Machines, the special effects of Virus. So it's pretty packed. Cool. That's a fun one. I, I like – I'm a fan of Virus. I think I think it's good fun. I mean, I'm a, I'm a sci-fi nut anyway and, you know, evil alien robot type things and and ships and – Yeah, that's one late 90s movie that I missed out on. So I might, I might check it out. It's fun. Cool. And it's Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. Why? Why not? Why not? <laughs> that should be the price of admission right there. And uh, lastly, I want to dish out some uh, shout select titles. Now, these may not necessarily be horror, but they're sort of cultish. So I figure people might be interested in hearing about them. They're all set for June. One of them has a specific release date. All the rest of them are haven't been locked down yet. But the one that has a release date... June 27th is 1992's Trespass. This nice. is directed by Walter Hill, and it stars the late Bill Paxton. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah. Yeah, they announced this the week after he died, which wow. is... It, it's, it's kind of funny. Not really. But also starring in this movie, Will Sadler, Ice-T, and Ice Cube. And also coming out from Shot Select in June is Where the Buffalo Roam. This is a 1980 comedy starring Bill Murray as writer Hunter S. Thompson. Hmm. It's it's a weird one for sure, but it's definitely interesting seeing Bill Murray playing Hunter S. Thompson. How does he compare versus like Johnny Depp's portrayal? Um, pretty spot on, actually. <laughs> cool. I've I've never seen that one. Yeah, it, it is kind of weird, but not in. It's not fear and loathing in Las Vegas weird. It's yeah. kind of a straightforward comedy, but a little off. If you've never seen this movie before, I'd highly recommend checking it out at least and just tell us what you think. Next up, Cheech and Chong's next movie. <laughs> that one is going to be coming out some point in June. I don't know when, but I'm actually interested in seeing what bonus features they have with this one because I came across – this was a movie that – I saw it at the drive-in when I was a little kid, probably way too young to be watching that. <laughs> that and Nice Dreams, I remember. But uh, I, I said on regular TV some years ago, and it was a completely different cut huh. than the theatrical one. So I'm just wondering if you know Shout Factory is going to be putting some of those deleted scenes not only into the movie, but hell, just separate. Like right. separate bonus features because it's always funny a movie on network tv it it looks totally different from what you remember seeing and last but not least coming out in june from shout select car wash <laughs> working at the car wash yeah <laughs> so as far as bonus features for all of these um there's still a work in progress okay. so we'll let you know what those are and guess what sean that's it all right that is all i got awesome as always you can always see uh most of these announcements over at the screamcast.com uh should expand uh, most of these uh 
if you're curious about the special features and all that, we have a breakdown there. Josh has been kicking ass and taking names uh, with the, with all those announcements. Josh, uh, thanks, man. Not a problem. We'll see you guys later. All right. Um, we'll be moving into our other segments uh, shortly. But first, I wanted to give you guys a heads up about our Patreon. We started up a Patreon page, and it's going to be replacing the um, donate button through directly through PayPal just because it's uh, it's a great way for us to keep track of all of you who are donating and, and you know being involved with the show. I can email all the Patreons directly. You get get some inside information on the show. You can get a heads up on certain things we'll be talking about. We'll be able to interact um, with you guys a lot easier. Um, the base level is like a dollar a month. This is just hey, you're a fan of the show. You want to you want to give us a little tip and you'll be able to connect with us. The next up, the next one is a, is a three dollar one, which means you'll get an early access to the podcast. So as soon as I get done editing a podcast, I will be uploading it to Patreon. For you guys to hear, so you'll be able to hear it before anybody else. Um, you'll get more sneak peeks into certain things we're going to be talking about, and um, you know, like everything else, you'll be able to be connected with us. If anything's ever coming up, or we have an, an, an announcement or anything like that, you will hear all that first. And then the third uh, tier is five dollars a month, and this one, like, will actually be able to um, be directly involved with a little thirty-minute extra episode called Screamcast Late Night. Where Brad and I uh, will basically drink and talk about a, any subject that the people at the five dollar level will bring up, so you can be directly involved with that show's content each week. It could be anything, as long as it's genre related, like horror or exploitation film, anything like that. But it could be any topic, so it can get pretty ridiculous. And I'm really excited about that. So that's like the five dollar month tier. As more things come up, we'll probably add more tiers. Um, this is just kind of an experiment, but um, I've been sitting on this, not doing it for such a long time. I finally did it, so I'll let you guys know about it. You can go to patreon.com slash scream underscore cast. So basically, like our Twitter uh, Twitter name is also the Patreon name. So check that out. If you have any questions, of course, you can always hit us up. Read me at thescreamcast.com or hit us up on Twitter, scream underscore cast. But um, anyway, it's a pretty cool way to be, be able to dialogue with all of our fans. Pretty excited about it. We've had a few people sign up already. want to thank you guys for doing that. And uh, hopefully this can be something that will help elevate our, our show. Um, it's going to help pay for it. I have yearly fees that I pay out of pocket for the show for hosting fees and stuff like that. Um, you know, if Brad and I ever need a new, if a, if a mic ever shits out or anything ever breaks, we pay out of pocket. So this would help kind of keep the show going and so we'd be able to have reserves if anything ever comes up. Uh, and then um, I do want to do something specifically to go towards the writers on our site. I'm working that out. Uh, I may do a, another level to directly fund that. Um, Josh Obershaw does a lot of work on the website and um, uh, and we have a lot of great writers. And I want to be able to get something together and uh, throw them some cash each month too, and you guys can help be a part of that. So, all that said, I want to keep the show like as ad free as possible. I don't want to do ads on the website, all that bullshit. Um, you guys, but your guys' direct support, you guys can help keep all that shit off there. Because man, websites are getting ridiculous with their ads. Like I can't even load like Bloody Disgusting or Dread Central anymore without an ad taking over my entire phone. 
and taking everything over and even crashing the, the site, crashing the, the app. You know, it's just ridiculous. And everyone's doing all these clickbait headlines. We don't want to do that. Um, so this is a way that we can at least bring something in and pay for what we need to pay for and keep all that shit off the website and off our show. Cool? Agreed. That said, I'm going to do a quick ad for Coffee Shop of Horrors. They have a new flavor called Stranger Brew, waffles, and syrup, and it's awesome. Use the code SCREAMCAST to get 10% off. Now it's time for the fun part. We are going to jump into our conversation right now about Scream Factory's release of Slumber Party Massacre 2 and Slumber Party Massacre 3. It's like Rocky Horror Picture Show. It's a dark comedy musical. It was intended as a sequel, but the original name of it was Don't Let Go, dash, dash, colon, kind of subtitle, Slumber Party Massacre 2. Roger dropped the Don't Let Go and pulled the Slumber Party Massacre 2 up. This came out. Uh, this came out a little while ago. What the Blu-ray? It's not super new, but it's pretty new. Really? I thought that. Just, I thought it just came out like last month. Maybe. I, well, you know what? I, I get my stuff through from GrindhouseVideo.com, and he um, sends me stuff as soon as he gets it. If you order from GrindhouseVideo.com, by the way, uh, you can get shit before release day. Keep that in mind. January seventeenth. Give me a break. Hey, it allowed me to plug GrindhouseVideo.com. Buy it from GrindhouseVideo.com. <laughs> and it's funny, we have like sponsors, but they don't pay us. So it's like, it's just... Well, that's the point. We like their, we like their stuff, so we don't want to plug them. All right, so we, we have talked about Slumber Party Massacre before, and I, if I was smart, I would have had uh, the the number of the show up, but I don't... It's fine. Tristan Risk was one yeah, that yeah, on yeah. the Yeah, okay, It was, was very early on in, in the podcast. And speaking yeah. of Tristan Risk, uh, we need to have her back on the show. By the way, that needs to happen. So, uh, we, so we talked about Slumber Party Massacre. I can't remember how much we got into the entire series, but this is one of the few trilogies or one of the few series that every single movie had a woman director. I think they all had women writers. Amy Holden Jones, of course, directing the first one. So it's an interesting little note about these films, you know, is that they're very much have women involved with the filmmaking, but they are very much made for teenage boys uh you know horror fans wow you're really really bad at introducing this movie <laughs> yeah i am try, anyway. try it again no no i'm done Try it again i'm done anyway i'm a fan of the first one i'm an even bigger fan of slumber party massacre 2 because of their rockabilly guitar drill lure killer guy and I'm going to let you talk now because um, – so, yeah, we'll start with Slumber Party Massacre 2. Technically, it's a quadrilogy. There is oh. a fourth Slumber Party Massacre film, but it's directed by a male. But they changed the title to Cheerleader Massacre. Um. But it's uh, it was released on VHS, I believe, as Slumber Party Massacre 4. And Jim Warnowski did it. <laughs> nice of course but it's not good at all it's <laughs> it's very terrible so 
I, I'm glad they changed the name to Cheerleader Massacre to make a Slumber Party Massacre just the trilogy that it is, because having them all directed by females is great. And then, of course, there was a spinoffs of Sorority House Massacre mm-hmm. um, that came about that Jim Warnowski did. Um, that kind of ties into Slumber Party Massacre as well. So uh, it's a it's a great it's a great rabbit hole hole to fall down into. Um, but yeah, Sean's right. It, they were all directed by females, but uh, definitely with a kind of four male mentality the films have, which is, it's very odd watching it because you have to, especially the second one, because you have to keep reminding yourself that a female is directing this hard hitting <laughs> gore fest uh, that's happening. Um, yeah. So um, one thing I, before we go into it, I was very happy with this release, number number one, because I actually really enjoy the trilogy. I think it's a great trilogy. I think all the films are outstanding. Actually, sorry, no, three is the heavy gore one, not two. Um, okay. There's still some heavy gore in two, but three is ridiculous. Um, <laughs> three has like a bunch of entrails. The like, <laughs> yeah, the ending's a blood God, story. man. <laughs> Um, they're, they're, they're silly. Uh, they're, you know, as, as we spoke about on the, the old, uh, Slumber Party Massacre, um, film, um, just to reiterate, the first film was supposed to be a parody. And then it slowly, it is kind of a parody in a way as well, still, but it's, you know, slowly evolved into a, um, slasher film, but with very comedic parts parts and so does two and three two probably more being than anything three is just over the top silly at times uh but it is played in a serious way but um these films on this blu-ray is what i was getting at is uh they included the unrated um cuts which is very very hard to find at the time um you couldn't even really find them on you know the tubes if you if you tried and they uh they were banned in several countries and i was happy that they put them together because they're absolute gore fests um in them and in the second second film there is a food eating uh scene where the lead character um, who is the survivor of uh, the little sister survivor from the first one. She plays with her food all through the scene and is very, very <laughs> odd. And I like when films are complete like this, like what was filmed is put out there. That's what I like to see. I like, I don't like to see like, you know, people are always, I love deleted scenes, but I want to see the scenes in the movie. Like I don't want to watch yeah. deleted scenes, the feature. I want an option where those scenes were supposed to be placed in the film. And that's what I loved about this, what Scream Factory does. And, you know, they did the same thing with the Sleepaway Camp movies is they put kind of the work prints, um, you know, what they submitted to the MPAA at mm-hmm. the time. Um, and then, you know, obviously they came back and they were like, you got to cut, you know, something out. It's too gory. It runs too long. You know, the producers are like, hey, let's trim this up a little bit. Let's take out these needless scenes like this food eating sequence. Um, and I like when those are placed back in. So and that's what I actually watched. I didn't watch the new uh, quote unquote HD transfers that they put on the Blu-ray because I don't think they did any new scans. I watched kind of the DVD VHS uh, looking 
uh, cuts on the disc. Now, I imagine, okay. what did you watch, John? I watched the theatrical. I, I compared them both, though, just to see the quality so I can comment on the quality. And yeah, the work prints are very much work prints. Like, they're very rough looking. Uh, the theatrical versions, man, look amazing. They look really good. Um, I had the DVD trilogy that, uh, Shout Factory released, or I guess was a screen with, that they released a while back. I guess it was their, their Roger Corman series, right? Uh, when they were doing all that. So I had the trilogy. Yeah, well, they bought all the new Concord movies. Yeah. So, um, so compared to the DVD, man, these were revelations, man. But um, two especially looks really damn good, especially because they got, you know, you have the uh, the the killer, you know, and his kind of extended dance sequence, and there's all of a sudden gel lighting, and you know, really, it's really colorful for a horror flick, and it looks really, really, really good. It, I'm 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 impressed. Yeah, I I should have popped popped over and watched the new uh, quote-unquote transfers, like I said. Because I just think they're HD masters. They didn't do a new scan, as far as I know. Well, they probably did originally for the DVD and just never, you know... But they look good. They, they're they they're good masters. <laughs> so they, put the, they put the DVD on the Blu-ray. Good to know. No, 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 no. <laughs> the masters that they created for the DVD are definitely no, going to be no, in, I know. You know, I HD. Know, but, I know, I know, you know, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Pared down to DVD but I, honestly, I prefer the unrated... Um, versions of the film just because they are very very gory and um alternate scenes alternate takes stuff like that our first slumber party massacre film is iconic in the slasher yeah. uh realm for, yeah. for many reasons one it's brutal um number two it is of course like we've said twice it's directed by um a female and it's got some really great kills. It's got a wonderful soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the follow-up to uh, Slumber Party Massacre is instead of doing the same thing over again with the same killer in a drill, which wouldn't make any sense, we are given um, one of the s- survivors from um, the little – I can't remember her name. What's her name? Uh, she's the survivor from the first film, uh, She's but she's the younger sister. Uh, Courtney Bates? Uh, Courtney. Courtney, Courtney, that sounds right. So Courtney's all grown up. She um, is uh, what she's living with. Uh, she's living with her mom, isn't she? Yeah, her older sister is uh, in like in the asylum, right? Yeah, like she went crazy. Yeah. So, so in the second film, she, she's she's grown up. She is in a all girl all girl band, and um, she starts having. Uh, dreams, um, uh, of the future, kind of, and, um, nightmares of that horrific, uh, night of being stalked by this driller killer. Not the Owl Forever movie. So instead of kind of making a copycat killer or anything, we're giving a dreamlike, um, character who then is basically ends up being real. Uh, somehow that is never explained, nor do I want it explained. We are given a rock and roll rockabilly, uh, <laughs> guitarist with a drill on the end of his head of his guitar. And don't think about the logistics of that. And it, it turns out to be kind of musical at the same time. <laughs> it's completely batshit crazy, but it, 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 it's fun and it works for the most part. I mean, if you try to like, try to make 
you know, sense of the storyline, you won't. It, yeah. There is no sense in the storyline. It just is absolute absurdity and crazy. Yeah. It's, uh, the Drilla Killer is played by an actor, Atanis, uh, Lich. Atanis Lich. He's only been in three films Slumber Party Massacre 2, Raging Cajun, and a movie called A Private Matter. Uh, he looks kind of like, uh, you know, Rockabilly Eli Roth. A little bit. A little yeah, bit. yeah, I could see that. He is now uh, a realtor, I believe, in California. <laughs> Holy shit. That's I know I know he's a realtor. I know he's a realtor for sure because I actually looked him up and I emailed him and we did discuss stuff uh, months and months ago. Oh, man. Um, but he really doesn't want to be affiliated anymore um, with acting. He's very career-driven. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't get around to the special features on the disc. Uh, did you to see if he yeah. maybe showed up? I, I think he does. Um, this was on the DVD. So on the first Blu-ray of Slumber Party Massacre, um, I think Screen Factor really dropped the ball, and they only included a 23-minute version of the documentary, um, which which I think was a mistake. Like, but but we have it here now. This is an hour and a half or an hour long documentary about the entire series. And it's put together, like the director of it, I can't remember his name, but he's obsessed with this. And there, this, the, it starts off with him getting a Summer Party Massacre VHS for Christmas and he's, or his birthday and he's freaking out. It's fantastic. Oh, I, under, I remember oh that. Yeah, that's, that's oh so, my God. It's awesome. But I believe the, I don't know if the inner, I can't remember because I was going to try to rewatch this, but it was an hour long and I didn't have time. Um, I don't, I can't remember if they interviewed him or not. But, um, but that said, like, He's great in this man. Like, I'd, he, I, I would, I'd be surprised. I'd be surprised if he if he shows up. He, he'd be pro. God, I can't remember. But um, when he shows up in that scene, like in his full glory, when he busts through the door, right, and lights up the cigarette, and then all of a sudden it's freaking musical time. It's you know, uh, he says like, now it's time to get this party started, and then he oh my breaks God. into his musical. Number. That's probably my favorite scene uh in any horror film it just it just makes no sense like all it it, it straight up turns into a musical uh number for that part of the film and it's fantastic just because like there's no reason why it should happen uh there's there's a there's a kind of a supernatural element to it because he's he's got to be but it's never explained and he's so good like he's so believable as this rockabilly character uh that just kind of goes along and uh, you know it sings and dances. I feel making this movie, they um, they would just tell him like, "Hey, this is your first film. <laughs> um, play it just over the top, like kind of do whatever you want." And that's what it felt like. Yeah, like like I can't imagine any direction uh, giving giving on this because it, it it's like it's a completely tonal shift of the film at times, like. <laughs> At times, we are very slasher, serious, uh, dreamlike, Nightmare on Elm Street sequences, mm-hmm. and then it just gets like super duper crazy. And um, it, like I said, it, it just doesn't fit in the slightest. But like I said, like Sean, work it works in this weird B movie sense to where it's not boring, it's not stupid, um, right. it's just 
really jarring and it it just makes you think wow this is fucking crazy but it works like it's it's really it's well done it could go really bad it could oh, go yeah. sour and i i think that people that were looking uh for a, a a sequel to slumber party massacre you didn't get it and i think it this movie took some time in order to become kind of a cult classic i uh, no i don't think it's better than the first one but i do think all three of these films are just a great trilogy because yeah. unlike halloween unlike friday the 13th we are giving a slasher films that at least tried like they try to be different like slumber party massacre 2 tries to be not like the first one but at least have el elements of the first one Mm -hmm. and keep that kind of driller killer rolling. Yeah. Which I like because that's the thing. You can't bring back Russ Thorne. You can't like he, he he got, he he got killed. He's in the pool. He's done. So let's bring back a driller killer, but let's make it a nightmare of someone else and able to like pull him out like Freddy Krueger into the real world and then start murdering all these people and just make it kind of batshit crazy and make it almost like a psychological horror film, yeah. a dreamlike horror film than, you know, something serious. So I appreciate that. Yeah. This does have a couple policemen, Officer Krueger and Officer Voorhees, which is a fun <laughs> little, uh, little nod. But yeah, this one, I mean, it, like, we don't know for sure. Like, was, is this all a dream? Is it real? Did it really happen? We, you don't know. And that's what's fantastic about it. It, and what I like about this one too is it does take its time to get to, like, the rockabilly ki- driller killer. I feel because they take their time to introduce him, like, fully. I mean, you go a good 40 minutes, you know, um, of kind of just these girls, their life in school, everything leading up to the slumber party. More than the, it takes us time more than the third one. I think the third, I timed it out. Like the third, the third one, they get to the slumber party in like 20 minutes. The first one, they get to the slumber party in like 20 to 30 minutes. This one, it takes his time, but I think it earns that because by that, by that time, as soon as he pops in the door, like you've totally, it's redeemed itself for kind of keeping all that at bay for so long. And then it just gets nuts. And then from there on out, like this is a, a short film. It's only an hour and 17 minutes. Oh, yeah. No, it's super short. But if you watch the unrated cut, it's like an extra. Like, that's the thing. The unrated cut's like an extra 15 minutes. Oh, okay. Like, it's not not just a couple gore scenes. Like, it's it's relatively long. Wow. Um, I want to say it's like, I want to say it's like 13. I think it's 13 minutes total. Because this is like 75 minutes, the film. But then, uh, yeah, I think it's 80, 88. And if I'm good at, I'm, I'm good at math. <laughs> They've all stayed within the 77 to 80 minute mark. They don't, they don't overstay their welcome. They're perfect horror films. Um, so I think it would be really fun on the spot. Like I just now thought of this is let's try <laughs> to actually dissect Slumber Party Massacre 2 to actually feel and, and, and talk about what actually happens. Like what makes this happen? <laughs> you start, man, cause. You you have this analytical brain of these movies. I just sit back and watch. So let's let's take let's take Courtney, who is the survivor. Right. So obviously she has you know, her her sister is went a little crazy. Mm-hmm. All her sister's friends died. She had this traumatic experience. So she's trying to get things moving. She's going to school. She has a bunch of friends. So obviously she's having reoccurring nightmares of that dreadful night. Mm-hmm. 
So she has the image of Russ Thorne in her head as the driller killer. So she has the drill in her mind. So that's kind of where the drill comes from with the guitar. Right. But she's in a band. Right. Like we didn't talk about it. She's in a band in the film. And she's the singer. She's the guitar player singer. Yeah, so that's where the that's where it comes from. So anyways, so like she has all these she has this thing going on in her head where she has a, it's almost like a sub like she builds this character subconsciously cuz you have things out through your day that happen and you know even if it's the smallest thing when you go to dream that's sometimes what in real life not talking about the movie at all that's what you dream about. Like sometimes yeah. like you could you can think heavily on something and that's what you dream about or little things could sporadic happen through the day. And that's actually what you dream about. Like it's, it's hard to decipher where actually dreams conjure up and come from, but that's basically, you know, the, the logistics of how dreams are, are made. So she has, she's a singer and she's has the driller. So she creates this in her head and it manifests so much that it becomes real. So that's where you have to ask yourself at the end of the film, this is she is actually in the insane asylum. Mhm. And she's the one that has manifested this killer and because obviously this doesn't happen to me. I if thinking back and trying to dissect this, you think it's all a construct of her in the mental asylum kind of her sister might be the one that's out and free and living life. And she's actually the one in the insane asylum because at the end of the <laughs> film, like they have that really cool shot of like that miniature thing with yeah. someone in the bed in the background. And like the, it looks like some kind of Tim Burton building, like a yeah. Tim Burton room. That's what I call it. Cause he's always like, Oh, let's make a quirky. Um, <laughs> and then that drill like rams up from the, from the floor. Yeah. And then you hear his, you know, uh, you know, his cackle, his iconic like <laughs> laughter that he does throughout <laughs> the film. So basically, None of this actually happens. It, right. it, 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 now that I think about it, I mean, I, I mean, I have thought about that before. None of this actually happens. It's just she manifests this character through everything that she is doing in quote unquote in her life and builds this character and these friends. But no one actually really dies. She's just going crazy in the sane asylum. That could be a way to look could at be. it. Or could be. this actually does happen, and she creates something. In this, like, you know, because they, 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 there's movies that talk about that. Like, you think about something or something's happening that you that you actually pull it out of your, you know, like kind of like Freddy, where they grab him in the dream and they mm-hmm. pull him out to be in, you know, reality, something like that. And they also do that in Freddy versus Jason as well. Um, they, they pull him out. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter because the movie's so fun. Like, could be all in her in her head, or it could have really happened. It, it doesn't matter at all. And um, that's what's so great about this is you can kind of think about this stuff and figure out what you, you know, what you would want to do, what makes sense to you. But yeah, Deborah Brock, the director, she, uh, wrote it and she directed it. So the other ones they they had a writer, like she did it all. She was kind of being controlled by Roger Corman to go certain ways or whatever. And, um, she, the, she got to, almost got full control of the film because he, she was able to kind of be a wise ass and she made him laugh. And then once that happened, like she was able to kind of get the movie she wanted and, uh, and, and through, you know, through and without Roger, cause Roger Corman, 
you know, kind of directed all these in the in the background. He was the one that was said, "All right, five minutes in, you need some tits. You know, this minute you need a sex scene." This he had like this rhythm to his movies to have certain things at certain times, and uh, she was able to kind of get past it. I feel like maybe that's why this one has a little more room to breathe, especially in the beginning, because she was able to kind of get her way, and you actually can care more about these characters than you normally would, and. Uh, and once stuff starts happening, you know, it, it, it hits a little harder, but it's still, you know, still a fun film. One, one more thing. This also stars one of my favorite 80s ladies, which I've mentioned on the show quite a few times, uh, Juliet Cummings, who oh, is yeah. in uh, Friday, Friday the 13th. Um, she's in five. It's the one with the, the kids, right? That's okay. the one where it's not Jason. Right. Uh, spoiler alert. Spoiler and she's in Deadly Dreams. Yeah, she's in Deadly Dreams, and she's in Psycho uh, 2. Psycho 2, and she's also in Hot Moves with Eric Stoltz. Oh. She was a favorite. She's just super cute. And she's a redhead, which, you know, she's a redhead. So. <laughs> um, it's not the genre I would have hoped for. You know, I would have liked to have made a romantic comedy or a historical, you know, drama or something. Um, but... I was thrilled to have an opportunity. You know, how many people get that chance? All right, Slumber Party Massacre 3. Yes, this one, they kind of dial it back. It's not... They kind of dial it back to be more like the first one, Um, but... but, Right, but it's not. Right. It's not. That's what I was uh, worried about, because this one to me was like the... When when I was thinking about it, I'm like, I don't remember 3 at all. And I'd watched it, and... But watching it this time, like, I feel like... They could have redone one. In a sense, it's kind of, you know, it's the same formula. But, I mean, I don't know how much we want to spoil this one because this the, the revelation was pretty fun. Well, the, it also happens very quickly. Like, I, I feel that we, you know, it's it's known who the killer is. Okay. You All know, right. I, I mean, I I mean, yeah, it, it does. It, it Okay, we won't spoil it because I, I believe it's, you know, these movies are, semi-underseen this one especially the third one especially well what i like about this one is that it is a driller killer but it actually is just a slasher yeah because you know it he doesn't kill people with the drill 100 percent. right he only uses the drill sometimes because there's a part in the film i mean we even use a for sale sign as a kill uh <laughs> as <laughs> as a weapon in this in this movie so it it does i mean yeah m- the majority of the kills are by the drill but the drill isn't um used in a uh kind of a um a phallic sense like the fir- first yeah. film and the second film the the drills are used as a phallic symbol as a penis basically the first one especially and that and that was very much intentional yeah i mean you have uh you know even the poster it's the guy's you know legs with the drill between that's supposed to you know you know be a penis and um you know the, the second film is as far as you know the the, the killer putting the kind of good guitar between his legs yeah. and thrusting yeah yeah you know, um, I mean, yeah, it's a guitar, but it's still the drill and it's, you know, you know, penetrating, uh, you know, most of the people it's penetrating are women. Uh, this film, the body count's relatively high and you have a lot of people uh, to devour, which a lot of them <laughs> die, which this movie has a huge body count, even one offs like people show up for like two minutes and then they're like getting killed. Um, 
but I, I like this film because it didn't use that tactic. Uh, yes, the drill, like I said, the drill is a big portion of the film, but it's not used in that sense. Only the, uh, only the first, only the first kill it's used in that sense. Cause it's in the car. Mm-hmm. And it's more or less like he grabs the girl from behind and the hands, and then he's like thrusting the mm-hmm. drill. Um, and that, and then it's like, oh, this is, but it's like it wants to familiar, like uses that familiarity and wants to bring back kind of those first two films. But then it goes off as kind of being like a slasher, like, you know, Jason or, you know, Michael Myers just using whatever he can in order to kill people. And then, you know, picks up the drill, but he doesn't use it in that phallic way. It seems it's just a weapon. That's his weapon of choice. Cause yeah. that's what's in the, the Satan. Van. Well, you know what I liked about <laughs> this one, especially when he's introduced is it's the first, you know, driller killer to use a mask and right, right. Yeah. It's, it, it takes a while to reveal who it is. I think it's pretty easy though, to guess who yeah, the killer is. I think so. To me, even watching this, cause this is a film that I grew up with. I mean, I watch these movies all the time. My mom loved these movies. Um, and it was just, it was just too obvious. It's like the killer in splatter university. It's very obvious who the killer is. It's just, you're just waiting for it to get there. Um, it, now, at the time, watching this maybe in the theater, right, it would have been a little bit confusing. But we've went through this formula many times, introducing many characters. You know, having kind of that. Uh, you know, it was it was funny. Have um, you know? I thought Scream did a great job of pulling those elements from the seventies and eighties back of guessing who the killer was because there's so many moments and scream where you see the boots and you know the boots come down and billy's wearing the boots mm-hmm. and and you know the room and like he drops like the gloves and the like the fucking phone and then you know the um the cop is smoking the cigarette and then crushes the butt with his boot and that's the boot that you saw and the, you know there's just so many like little things that are like oh that's the killer and that's what i like about this film um but it's mostly just generated towards a couple people, not, yeah. you know, the whole entire cast like Scream did. But uh, I like that element of at least trying to surprise you. Um, I probably would have been duped uh, when I was little if I mm. watched it in the theater, but watching it as an adult, I fucking knew exactly who this person would be. Well, I guess, I guess on the VHS cover and everything, they kind of show him on the back already. So, <laughs> so they kind of spoiled it once it got to the VHS. Oh, that's market. right. Don't they? Yeah. 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 I, I forgot. Uh, it's, I don't see it on the on the not on the Blu-ray, but when it was out on, if you look at the VHS cover, um, is it? Do they show it in here? Let me see. Let me see. Yeah, <laughs> it's on the inside cover of the Screen Factory uh, Blu-ray. Uh, there he is. Okay, I don't know. <laughs> so oh man, you know, that's that's hilarious. It's it's by this time, I guess it's spoiled, but whatever. Well, you guys can you guys can. Uh, Thing is, like, I didn't even look at all that when I watched it, so I, I remember going in totally blind on that. Didn't even know, and I was like, "Oh shit!" You know, <laughs> it made it fun. I don't know. Oh, I always liked um, Slumber Party Massacre too. Since you brought up VHS covers, and Slumber Party Massacre two is the VHS on there on the back. the The person that's on fire has a white mask on as the oh, stunt yeah. guy. Yeah. It's it's super funny. I remember seeing that <laughs> when I was little, and it's like, wait, what the fuck is actually happening? That's the stunt guy mask. What? And then oh yeah, 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 I see it. 
That's hilarious. Yeah. It's on the, it, they threw it on the blue around the back. But yeah, it's funny that they would that that's even awesome. Screen Factory would use that. Cause it's obviously, stunned, yeah, I can see the killer on the back of three. That's, that's pretty <laughs> funny. Um, but, uh, yeah. But anyways, uh, you know, it's, it, this one's more or less, it, it is a straightforward slasher, mm-hmm. but man, its body count is really high and it's got some, it has a couple moments. Like there's a moment, Maria Ford's in this movie, which I have always loved Maria Ford. She has been in so many sexy movies. She's a B movie queen. Um, but there's a moment in this movie with Maria Ford that's very uncomfortable, unlike all the other films, is after he's like blinded and she's laying on the floor and he's like undressing her and she's like giving oh, in, yeah. telling him what to do. It's very, it's very rapey and it's just, it, it doesn't fit the movie at all. It's very uncomfortable. And then mm-hmm. he gets upset and then he kills her. And I'm like, ooh. Like this is like this com- like changes shift because I mean we have these movies that you know women are dying and male or the killer is directed by females so it's shot in a different way where it's not super exploitive or you know misogynistic but at a time during that portion it's like what like because that feels like a movie that you would see directed by a male where you know it gets a little rapey and you know a little hyper violent mm-hmm. and what's happening i to me that that scene kind of sticks out like a sore thumb in in uh in the film um, yeah and it's just it's it's very very weird it's but i do surprising. love but it also has one of one of the things that i've wanted to see in all the slumber party massacres is that in that sequence though Maria Ford grabs the drill to like stop it from hitting her and mm-hmm. then he cranks it up and then oh. it cuts her hands yeah oh, and i've god. wanted to see that i'm like oh my god why like why like you're going to try to stop the drill it'd be like stopping a knife you know grabbing a knife and having it cut through your hand right and um you know i i really like that cuz i've always kind of wanted to see that plus it kind of gives me the willies Ooh, yeah totally you know it's <laughs> I get, like Ugh. i got like goosebumps um, right now just kind of like Ugh. But this is a blood-soaked, especially the unrated version. The oh. ending is just so brutal, and there's just so much blood. I mean, <laughs> even though the end kill is like not like go- it's not like gore, like guts and stuff, because it's spraying. <laughs> it's just like it's just spraying, but like the drills <laughs> never actually hitting him, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> um, but uh, it's 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 got a great. A uh, great little ending to it, and it's just. And this is the one movie where logic is completely thrown out the window. I mean, we have five girls that are at a sliding glass door trying to open it. A sliding glass <laughs> door, and they can't get out of the room. And he comes up behind him. He's like, "Ready to party, girls?" And they're like, "Ah!" And they all start running through the house. And it's like, please. And then once the girl like throws herself into the glass and breaks it, <laughs> then the driller killer takes a table and doesn't flip it around. He just puts the table next to the door. And then that becomes like a hard obstacle for people to crawl <laughs> under and hop over in order to get out instead of just moving the fucking door or the table. But it's it's not a slasher if you don't have at least one of those situations, like you know, people running up the stairs instead of running outside. 
Yeah, awesome. I mean, some of the stuff I can, I can, I can deal with, but I mean, there's just so many like silly things, like uh, you know, he's killing people out in the street in this movie, and no one's really looking. Um, he his little satanic seance van that yeah. he has with all like the candles that are lit. I was like, wait a second, were you driving with lit, lit candles in the back, bro? <laughs> Like, that's not is, safe. Is this where this dude lives? <laughs> well, it's it's like a Nazi van too. Oh my god! Yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. There's there's less special features on on that disc. It's just the uh, the two cuts of the film. But uh, but this set's worth it, man. Like I said, is we finally get the the three part documentary about the entire series, which is great. If you haven't watched that three part documentary, uh, if you didn't have the DVD uh, with that documentary, definitely worth worth it for that pretty fun uh and and i like that the director of the documentary made it personal with his love for these films it's pretty great so it's definitely worth checking out the theatrical versions look great and having the work prints on there is uh, is added bonus nate wake up there's something very important i forgot to tell you don't fucking scream at me scream i'll break your neck <laughs> don't scream miss don't scream. So this, uh, today, we are talking about a film by William Lustig, and this is uh, one of the, his movies that I had never seen and I hadn't even really uh, heard about. It stars Judd Nelson and Robert Legia. But it's a film called Relentless. Hello? I called to see if you were home. I have to kill you. Tonight. This lunatic is trying to show the world that he can pick anybody at random from a phone book and kill him. You know, there's about 12 million people in L.A. One of them decides it's open season on people. He knows your name. One of them, Sam, against you and me. He has your address. Hit again last night. Twice. It's all right. He's got your number. What do I do now? Tell me, please. And you're about to be disconnected. This is from 1989. You forgot, it doesn't really star Robert. What's his name? Robert Lagagia? Whatever. Well, he's on... He's on the he's on the poster. I mean, he he was the big name, right? right? But Leo Rossi, they left him off the cover. They left him off the poster. Leo Rossi is the main character. He's in all four films too. <laughs> they they but, uh, <laughs> they but they leave him off of the the top billing just because the uh, Robert Logia Logia. I'm gonna pronounce the name wrong. You see his face, you know who he is. He's an older actor from the eighties. Let 80s. me look up the poster. Let me look up the let me look um, up the poster. But they give him top billing above the star. <laughs> Uh, poor Leo Rossi. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm looking at it right now. Judd Nelson has the biggest, which just makes sense. But yeah, Leo Rossi is the, is the <laughs> star. Uh, fucking <laughs> Sam Dietz, he plays in all four films. Yeah, I mean, it's based, I mean, that, were, was this based off uh, a, a novel? I want to, or, or no. No, I, I think I'm wrong. I don't, I don't but, know. But the I Sam Dietz character is through the whole, the whole series. There's four of these films. And this is available on, uh, on Vudu. Uh, you, and I think any stream you can find it. I was able to rent it. You can buy it as well. Uh, in HD. I think all four, 
all four films are HD. Oh, really? Okay. So we're we're yeah. at that place now where you're you know you're getting stuff in HD that's not getting any sort of you know Blu-ray release. But uh, like I said, directed by this was directed by William Lustig. This was a uh, a a hole in my you know William Lustig viewing. I I liked it for the most part, man. I I wasn't a huge fan of the lead character, Sam Dietz. What Leo Rossi? Yeah, I didn't like it. He's not. He's not a very he's not a very captivating lead. Uh, if people need to know who Leo Rossi is, um, I know that name doesn't ring a bell for most people. He's in Halloween Two. He plays Bud. He's the one that says, "Amazing Grace, come sit on my face. Don't make me cry. I need your pie." And he's the one that dies um, behind the shower glass um, right before the other his girlfriend Grace dies um in the heat heating in the pool or bath in the hospital so anyways that's leo rossi he's been in a lot of movies um he plays in um you know he was in mania cop 2 he's a good good buddy of lustig he's been in a lot of the lustig films um but yeah he's he's not he's not a likable guy like he has moments where he's cool but he's such a fucking prick like the way he like yeah. walks and defends himself. So it's really hard to like this guy. Like there are moments like the, the breakfast moment where he's, uh, tells his kid, you know, he giving tips to his kid and he kisses Meg Foster goodbye. Um, I think one of the scenes is really great is when he breaks down the crime scene of the guy that stabs himself in the stomach, mm-hmm. stabs himself in the stomach. Um, you know, and he's, you know, talk about the shower curtain and stuff like that. And, um, uh, which I, this is originally how I found out about shower curtains. <laughs> I, after watching this movie, I, I watched this movie with my, um, with my grandmother. She, oh, wow. um, she rented, she rented this uh, because we had go to video time. This is in Ohio. Uh, she saw relentless and she, we rented every relentless movie, uh, <laughs> like that week. And I watched all four Relentless movies. So I, my very first viewing of this was when I was like 13 with my grandmother. Um, but I remember that. And then uh, I told my mom and my mom was like, nah, that's, that's bullshit. And then I, when I was older, I did it and it's true. So if you leave your pull, shower curtain pulled back, it will create a lot of black mildew on the bottom. If you leave it uh, straightened, it won't. Wow. Fact. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Phil Alden Robinson, writer of of uh, Relentless. Thanks, Leo Rossi. And also another thing is, like, out of all of Lustig's films, um, other than probably The Expert, um, which I, I kind of compare these two a lot as far as, like, uh, looks and stuff, is that, you know, Lustig was directing pornography in the very beginning, and then he got into Maniac and Vigilante. And those films are really dirty and kind of the grimy scene of yeah. the underbelly of New York. Yeah, uh, Relentless is a little bit, uh, you know, um, kind of cleaner. Um, but there are some really uh, kind of nasty, dirty moments, is like with the Judd Nelson character, um, which you know I I, I enjoy so. We're talking about Relentless. Relentless is a film about a killer who is known as kind of the phone book killer in, in, uh, I mean, this is, takes place in New York, right? 
I don't, I can't remember. No, no, it takes place in Los Angeles. Los, that's right. Uh, I, I did know that. So it takes place in Los Angeles. Uh, uh, basically, um, our killer, Judd Nelson, is a serial killer. It's not hidden. You know who it is right off the bat. Um, which is pretty cool to see Judd Nelson as a serial killer. And yeah. he plays a, cause Judd Nelson is kind of creepy to begin with at times. Like he has some good moments like in Breakfast Club, but then he has stuff like, you know, Relentless and he's in the dark backward, that American movie. And he's very weird. Like he's very good at being odd. Like, I don't know. It's just like kind of look on his eyes. Like he can widen his eyes and look like he's like fucking drugged out or something. <laughs> um, so anyways, he basically, f- randomly looks somebody up in the phone book, underlines their name, calls them, says, I'm going to kill you tonight, and then kills that person. Uh, and then he leaves uh, basically the telephone book page of uh, of uh, who he killed on the uh, persons, and he, like, writes a little message for the, for the police officers. So anyways, that's kind of the basis is trying to find out who is doing this and kind of digs down deep. There's a little backstory with uh, some stuff with um, the serial killer played by John Nelson about his uh, upbringing and his family. And um, just kind of like a cat and mouse game. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not like crazy eventful. Um, it's it's very low key, but it's also a little bit more believable and um i don't know kind of one of the more toned down bill lustig movies like everything like hit list maniac cop maniac uh vigilante they're all kind of like epic and um and kind of crazy and over the yeah. top um but this one is more more toned down um and and the films kind of keep that progressing as as uh, 2 and 3 and 4 happen um, Judd Nelson does not come back as a zombie in the second one. It's just <laughs> for some reason, Sam Beats just gets stuck with all the serial killers in, in, in LA. Um, but anyways, it's basically every movie is hunting a new serial killer, which I, I actually like cause they all have their different like motives and, and shit like that. But, uh, I, uh, I love them, um, quite a bit and I, I do love relentless, and I think it's more or less uh, kind of just growing up with it and it being a film that I watch with my grandmother kind of gives me some like little warm moments. But yeah. um, yeah, I think, I think it's just a, it's just a normal like nineties cop procedural serial killer movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not, it's not gory at all. Um, it's not discuss, It's not dirty. Like you would think like a lustig movie would be. It's very tame. It's very like mainstream, theater shit that you would see in the 90s you know like i think this movie came out in the 80s it's though 89 right it's 89 yeah so yeah 89 90 yeah so it has the, it has that 90s feel it feels like uh you know this is one of the cops like i always compare it it's so weird that i do this but it's like kind of i always think about like the cop sequences in predator 2 <laughs> like this shit's happening in the background. Why? While Danny Glover's like blowing up Predator with Gary Busey. Um, I don't know. I have always like, I love like the inner city, LA, New York, Chicago cop stuff that's done like in the eighties and nineties. I, I just, I, I, I like that. I like that feeling like going into the precinct, going upstairs, all the phones are ringing. Everybody's everywhere. People are pulling papers off typewriters, giving them to <laughs> others. They're getting phone calls. 
calls and they get a phone call and it's like, all right, man, let's go. And they fucking go. And then they're eating coffee and donuts in the car. Like I love, I love those movies. I, you know, we don't get that anymore. We get these fucking, you know, assassins and fucking people running through New York city with like fucking machine guns strapped to their back. (laughs) Like I love like that, you know, suits, like putting on a suit, and there's like a fan in the corner of the room in this hot ass fucking yeah. room. And like, you could just see the sweat and steam like in there. And like, these guys are very passionate about what they're doing. They're not enjoying what they're doing. They're all irritable. Yeah. They're all tired of doing the same thing over and over. And I love that about Relentless because that has this very, like we spend so much time in the police station mm-hmm. and with these cops. And I love suit cops. I love those suit cops. I don't like the beat cops and the, you know, fucking off duty or something like that. I love those suit cop movies. Yeah. Um, but anyways, I, I, I miss those. I miss those movies. Yeah. No, this is a pretty dialed down, uh, of police procedural, but the one thing that's dialed to 11 is Ron Taylor as the captain. Oh God. Yes. <laughs> it's almost like he's in another film. Cause he's just, he's, he's the stereotypical captain yelling <laughs> at, at the cops, you know, you're doing this wrong, get it done. And he's just dialed up, man. Captain Blakely. I'm waiting for steam to start pouring out of his ears like in Last Action Hero when the yeah. guy's giving the speech. Like I'm waiting for him, is his head to blow up. You know, it's funny that you mentioned Blakely because on the on the DVD uh, of this, um, I think you could buy Relentless 1 and 2 on DVD and then 3 and 4 is in a two-pack. But on the DVD, uh, I think it's mentioned in the commentary that um, – uh, Joe Spinell was actually supposed to play Blakely. Oh, wow. He like died like right before they were starting to film. So they had to replace it really quick. And I would love to see Joe Spinell as that character, like yelling and getting fucking mad. Yeah. Um, but anyways, yeah, no, that's pretty, it's pretty great. It would be fun if, uh, some company would have released this entire, uh, as, series as a set. Who owns They're it? all in, in HD. I don't know. I would you imagine, would think that Bill Lustig would, like, he would try to buy him back. Did, was he involved with every single one? I guess that's what I don't no, know. No, no, I don't believe so. Yeah. I'm just saying the first one. Like, that's kind of like, Bill Lustig likes his own movies. Like, yeah. he likes what he does. So, it's kind of weird that he didn't try to pick this up. Ooh, this is out of print. All of them are actually out of print, but they're not crazy expensive. No, they're, they're pretty cheap on, on Vudu. Like and you can I rented mine for like three bucks. You, so you can at least watch them. Uh, and, oh, you know, rent fucking them. Sony owns it. Oh, okay. Sony owns it. It's not happening. Fucking Sony. They'll be fine with just the HD masters on on digital. All right. Well, it's it, yes. all these are out. Um, I want to watch the other ones now. Here's my question: Is does oh does, shit? Uh, Relentless three and four is very out of print. Uh, Fuck. Now, does Leo Rossi as Sam Dietz? Does he get more tolerable as the series goes on? Um, I think it's, I don't, I think you just kind of grow with him okay. and you accept it. It's, I mean, it's a um, part he doesn't of the become more likable because every, no, that's Leo Rossi. Every film I see Leo <laughs> Rossi in, he's that, he's that dickhead from Halloween too. <laughs> you know, that's okay. the first time I saw him and then like he pops up in movies and that's just kind of how he is. He's like Robert. He looks like Robert Zadar's like little brother. All of these are available to check out, which is a good thing. So check them out. They're, they're good fun. Give them a rent and uh, and check them out. They're pretty good. It's a good good quadrilogy. Yeah.
This week we are bypassing a horror Tommy Hamilton, a horror film. Uh, Brad, you brought this up, and when I saw the cover, I thought you were fucking insane. I was like, "Why the hell would Brad bring a cheerleading comedy into why? the VHS?" Oh my god! Why? 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 <laughs> you don't trust me? <laughs> you should. Yeah, I mean, now that I've seen it. 100% trust restored. Oh, dude, I should have never lost your trust to begin with. <laughs> Give me an F is a 19... It's a 1984... Uh, cheerleading sex comedy with a ton of dancing uh, directed by Paul Justiman and I can't believe that I have not seen this I I, I can't believe I have not I have not seen this um, it's basically about no a, cheerle- a cheerleading okay. camp uh, everyone goes in they have a, there's a big cheerleading competition that they're all going to compete against each other a lot of stuff ensues, but you follow kind of this one, uh, this one character. They're not that good of a squad, and you're kind of like following them and 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 everything. Um, and that's the setup. But you know, you need to introduce Paul Justman as Grammy Award winning Paul oh. Justman. I might add. What did he win that Grammy for? Standing in the shadows of Motown. Damn. All right. Grammy Award. Yeah, he's winning. a documentary. He's actually a documentarian, but he made this sex comedy with a fantastic soundtrack. The soundtrack is incredible. A lot of fun. I mean, this is Red 80s, Hot Chili Peppers. Red 80s. Hot Chili Peppers is on it. <laughs> this is eighties cheesy goodness, but there's so much going for this. Um, it's definitely R rated, which is fun. It's a sex comedy. I'm gonna let you talk about the rest of this, uh, Brad, because uh, wh- where, did, when did you see this, and in, in, in what? I need to hear your thoughts. Um, you, if you're if you're heterosexual, there's a dance scene that may turn you gay in this. But I'm gonna let you talk about that. Um, yeah, the dance dance sequence is definitely the highlight of the film. <laughs> um, years ago, I did a uh, many. If you've followed me on Twitter for quite some time. Uh, I did uh, two projects. Well, actually, I did three projects. I did a French film project one year where I watched as many French films as I could. Um, I did a heavy metal horror uh, project. Um, that's how Sean and I kind of became to know um, one another. Yep. And then um, I did a sex comedy project um, as well. Um, black... Uh, or black uh, heavy metal horror was easy because it was about maybe about 40 films. Uh, French was crazy because I did every genre every year. I mean, I, I probably watched like three, 400 uh, French uh, films that year. And then I did um, uh, sex comedies, which I found out there's maybe close to 120. I did from 1975 to 2000. 
uh, no, sorry, I did to like 90, 97, I think, or 98. Um, it was kind of hard to decipher what to choose and what to put in there because, you know, I didn't want to do the pornographic stuff. I wanted to do more or less, you know, and I didn't want to do a lot of PG-13 ones, so I kind of left that out unless it was like something like just one of the guys I think is like rated PG-13 and, mm-hmm. you know, up the creek and stuff like that. I wanted at least it, you know, be like Meatballs-esque, you know, very inappropriate for children. Um but I, I, and that's what I mainly stuck to. Um, it was a hard list to put together, and um, I never did uh, the book. There was a reason I was going to do. It. I was going to do a book, but I think Mike McPadden has been following me on Twitter for quite some time and just steals my ideas. <laughs> I'm, kidding. I'm kidding. Mike, Mike's way better at that shit than I would ever be. Um, but I, I love that he's doing what I have always wanted to do. So um, that said, I started going just by the alphabet. Um, uh, straight down the line, just and then I got tired and just started randomly picking things. So I'd say roughly about maybe four or five years ago, I came across "Give Me an F." It was one of those that was very hard to find. Um, I had to pay like thirty bucks on VHS for it. Damn. Um, and uh, you know, because I b- spent so much money doing these things, um, just trying to find the films wherever I could. Uh, some was just near impossible, but I eventually got them all. Uh, so give me an F. I was like, oh, whatever. I'm just going to do it. You know, it's it's a, you know, crazy tape. It's owned by Fox. It's probably never going to get a DVD or Blu-ray release at all. Um, Which is and I popped tragedy. it in and immediately, immediately I was like, I was just captivated by Tommy Hamilton. And, <laughs> you know, within the first 15 minutes, we have one of the greatest singing, dancing, cheerleading uh, segments ever. I mean, we're talking about like a 20 minute dance introduction between all these cheerleading people, um, all these teams, Tommy Hamilton, just like he, I can't think of the actor's name right now. His name's a, um, Steven Shellen. Steven Shellen. Yeah, Helen. I think it's Schellenberg actually. I, I think it's, I think they say Shellen, but I think his real name is Schellenberg. Um, yeah. You look that up. Because I, there's something weird about about him. Well, he grew up in um, Victoria, anyways, uh, it, British Columbia, and uh, <laughs> it says Shellen. Are you reading? I am reading. <laughs> yeah. So you may not remember him. He he does show up in in films every once in a while. He's a little, obviously more popular in the '80s. Um, he's also the car salesman in Gone in sixty seconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Nicolas Cage buys his car that I, that, that it was weird because that's what I remembered him from um, <laughs> when I very first saw Give Me Enough. Uh, and then later on I started, you know, lights started going on. I was like, oh, he's in this. So anyways, he, uh, you know, Stephen uh, Shellen plays uh, Tommy Hamilton and he's just so charismatic. He's so fun. He's so energetic. He's very captivating. He's just this, he's just a very charming guy and he's like 26 years old. He's still kind of running this cheerleader school camp deal um hitting on 16 year olds i might add though he's very respectful and we have (laughs) a moment in this film yes where he's very like come on like you're 16 i wish i was younger but i was surprised at that scene man i was like yeah, super surprised. But there is moments where he's like holding up like the blanket so he doesn't look at her, but then he peeks over and it's like, yeah, still a bit even of a though you're ball. not making it with this girl, you're still kind of looking at this 16 year old girl's 
food, dude. So this is kind of fucked up. Yeah, yeah. I think it's more fucked up now than it was <laughs> fucked up in the eighties. Yeah. But um, I mean, it's fucked up no matter what decade you're in. <laughs> but uh, I think it was maybe a little bit more accepted in the eighties, I guess. Um, yeah. Because it's you find out or like, and she wants Tommy Hamilton, but Tommy Hamilton is a respectable guy. Yes, he is kind of crazy. So anyways, you know, the, the camp director wants to kick Tommy Hamilton out, but this company wants Tommy Hamilton. That's, uh, you know, these, these, uh, Japanese, Japanese funders, they won't, they won't do anything without Tommy Hamilton. So the, the director wants to let Tommy Hamilton go. Cause obviously he's been in this place for a while. He's a troublemaker, you know, and all this stuff, but he's good at what he does. He's a good trainer. He's good at getting these people, uh, you know, in shape and to do, uh, be the best they can be. But he's also, you know, but like I said, he's a hornball and gets into trouble. So anyways, this new group comes in, the Ducks, who's like kind of very, uh, um, reserved. Um, not like your sassy cheerleaders that are there. The ducks come in, and that's where the lead girl uh, is loves Tommy Hamilton and wants to be with Tommy Hamilton. Um, it ends up kind of like a love story on that side. Tommy Hamilton has another thing going for him, um, but it's just like a, it's just like group. It's a, a great group of kids uh, and just getting into trouble and lots of dancing and with a really good soundtrack. I think that's the best way to sum up. Give me enough. Yeah. So there's. Two dance sequences we need to talk about. The first one that I talked about could possibly is it well there's there's more, right. but I mean uh the 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 shower dance scene was that, is that Tommy dancing in there? Yeah, it's Tommy Hamilton. Yeah. He's in the shower room and decides that oh, I'm just gonna do some choreography in the shower and take a shower while dancing. Well he's doing it for the girls. He's doing it for the girls. He knows the girls are watching. So he gives them a little show in in the shower in his tidy whities And it's incredible. A lot of people, mm. uh, some people I've read kind of say, oh, that's just a ripoff of Footloose. But come on. No. I don't think Footloose went there. No. It's, no, it's, it's, it's one of the most the brilliant so good. dance sequences I've ever seen <laughs> in a movie. And... um with one of the best songs ever, oh. and this is my time to bash Bobby Kimball. Uh, Bobby Kimball did the song uh, called – it's called um, – he did two songs for the film, um, uh, something eagle – like sort Fly Like an Eagle, and then he did um, uh, state, state, of, state of the Heart uh, for this. And uh, maybe people don't know who Bobby Kimball is. He is one of the founders and songwriters of the band Toto. So he has like this side career where he's been doing for quite some time. He did two songs for the soundtrack. I've tried contacting Bobby Kimball a few times for these songs because I absolutely love the soundtrack. Um, and he will never get back to me. He's kind of come a on, dick. Bobby. Because come on, Bobby. But anyways, um, it's got a really great soundtrack. Uh, like Sean said, I really wish we could see this scene, this whole film. And at least in DVD or Blu-ray Something, and HD man. Master, because this scene is shot just not in a shower. This scene is shot with <laughs> wannabe best lighting possible for a sex comedy with a shower <laughs> scene. Like in the shower, in the shower at this kid's camp, there are gaps in the walls where they're shining this bright light through to light this. <laughs> 
in the in an odd way where you could see the girls behind the wall trying to peer in, trying to catch to see Tommy Hamilton's penis. <laughs> Who's led by uh, um, uh, Demon Jana, who is my yep. favorite female uh, uh, portion of this film. She is so pretty. She was only in this, and she was in a, like a side bit and hard bodies, and then she just disappeared. And she is so sexy. It is crazy. She's the <laughs> brunette. She's the brunette that's kind of wild, mm. who gets on stage and kind of does the S and M dance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's what I'm saying. There's so many, there's so many dance sequences in this film. I mean, this movie is like an hour and forty five minutes, but an hour of it's fucking dancing. It's and it, but and it's not like shitty dancing. Like it's really fun. No, I don't it's know. Really fucking good. <laughs> One of our listeners on Twitter, I had, uh, I posted. I said, if you're a fan of eighty six comedies, cheerleaders, and dancer teens, you'd be a fool not to track down. Give me enough, and um. Peter.org, he said, he goes, I just watched that dance scene, the shower scene, and immediately changed my relationship status to, it's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's got some great dance sequences. In the opening sequence, and like I said, in the first 15, 20 minutes, we have this huge introduction, and there's yeah. just, it's dancing and, and, and cheerleading stuff, and we have, um, Sissy Williams, the ninth wonder or the, the ninth wonders of the world talking about her boobs. Uh-huh. And then he, you know, introduces all these people. And then he's, um, you know, it's, he does flips and dances on stage and it's just like, it's just so energetic. And you're just sitting there like, Oh my God. Like, I feel like I'm watching like a real dance competition on television. Yeah. Like you forget that it's a movie for a minute, you know? And, uh, uh, and Roscoe, Roscoe does his dance. Oh my God. Oh yeah, when he's he's like um he's like uh here's the moment of cheerleading, the plastic <laughs> man himself, Roscoe McGuinn. And Roscoe does this flash dance esque. Um uh, if you remember Flash Dance, there's a there's a, a part where, you know, they're on stage she's watching her friend dance and you know, she's got the chair and stuff and like the mm-hmm. you just see the silhouette of the girl and there's this big white screen like light. And that's what Roscoe has because obviously it's a double. That's right, not right. the you know actual actor. <laughs> and this guy fucking does one of the best goddamn dances. Like it's so fucking good. And the song that's playing in the back is that Bobby Kimball song, and it just keeps playing and playing. It's like a 15-minute version of the song. <laughs> and and Roscoe's so good. Roscoe is the drunk of – and, like, uh-huh. the, dr- the druggy drunk guy of the camp who basically is one of the best dancers they have and kind of what brings everything together. Like, you know, Tommy Hamilton's the glue. Roscoe's the talent. But Roscoe's like always fucking blitzed out of his mind. Yeah. Um, but does, uh, does he end it, up in the just, shoulder pads and the Mad Max outfit? He becomes Mad Max. Yeah. He, be, or he becomes the villain in Road Warrior. Yes. Yes. Um, so uh, towards the end, towards the end of the film, <laughs> he becomes the villain in Road Warrior. And I'm not saying like he acts like him. He dresses like the villain in Road Warrior. He has the shoulder pads, the chain, he has the fucking mohawk, and he has a fucking crossbow for some god knows. <laughs> like, I have no reason why he has a crossbow well, in the movie. I think it's after he, uh, he, fi- he finally makes it with uh, 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 the one of the SM- SM yeah. type girls, right? Yeah, yeah, he, he does that, Falcons. and then he this becomes... Yeah, the Falcons. They're they're the they're the nasty ones. Um, <laughs> so anyways, like, he turns into this Mad Max uh, type character. 
Um, and then we have like the camp director who's a, kind of a sleaze bag. Um, oh my god, the scene with him and the the girl with the American the girl flag, at the end uh, pasties. Jesus Christ, it's so uncomfortable. <laughs> but I'll just I'll just tell you there is a sequence with a young <sighs> she's not underage she's as uh, as of age right uh, with an old man a girl who has these uh, pasties on her nipples <laughs> who is basically orgasming orgasming without sex that involves a balloon full of piss. <laughs> And uh, what 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 do they drop down in on him? The like they they take a can of Ajax and put like a stick of dynamite in it. Yeah, yeah. All the while it's a, it's uh, they've a, a, uh, they've turned on the camp intercom, and so everyone can hear what's yeah, going on. Yeah. Oh my gosh! It's it's, it means it's meatballs um, meets it, uh, flash dance and Footloose or whatever you know. Maybe meatballs meets, meets flash dance. like uh, um, like screwballs and stuff like it's yeah. it's it's it's, it's not. But that's the thing is like this movie is. Longer than any sex, like this is by far the longest sex zombie I've seen. But man, it is it is fun from front to finish, and it's oh, yeah. just like, and like I know Sean says, like I can't believe, like I can't believe this is not more popular either. I understand why is it's only been released on VHS and then died. Like it was only released VHS by Key Video, which was a small company to begin with, so the VHS tapes are rare, and um. A key video was bought by Fox, and then of course Fox shells everything that they own. They don't release anything. All yeah. they do is they run them on their TV channel that they have. Um, and honestly, like even they've ran this thing on um, on television, they just never upgraded it, and it sucks because I I, I want to see the film. This could like, be a visual audio feast. Like it's so colorful. The dance sequences are it's pretty. Yeah, it's a pretty movie. Like, there's so many lights and like lighting things going on, and like I said, that dance with Tommy Hamilton in the shower—that's really well lit. Um, but everything's like the film's dark in general because a lot of things happen at night, and it's really fucking hard to make out. Like, even on VHS, like it's—I think that the tape is just so dark. Like, yeah. it's just those tape. The I mean, tapes. You know, of course. Uh, you know, they. Uh, what do you call it? Um, not well, devalue. They degrade. Um, they they degrade. Yeah, degrade. Time. Thank you. Mm-hmm. They degrade over time. So like you know, it's you know between the static that you have and the tracking and the scratches and of course people rewinding the fucking like by now my tape for <laughs> the Tommy Hamilton dance I can't even watch it anymore. <laughs> um, but uh, I tell you what, uh, you know, I, it's weird because everybody at my at my job. I, 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 work, I do management and pharmacy. Everybody in that department knows about Gimme an F in that dance sequence because whenever the day starts out shitty, because you know like how you go, you walk into work, whether it's a Monday, Thursday, whatever, and just something hits you right off the bat where it's like, oh, God, it's going to be one of these days. Like You know those days. Yeah. As soon as that happens, I pop in this sequence and I watch <laughs> it and I turn it up because people can hear it. Because people can hear it, and then other people will come by and watch it, and they're like, "Brad, are you like, are you gay?" Yeah, I'm gay for Tommy <laughs> Hamilton for sure. Um, but I watch this just because, like, I fucking I, I hate feeling like I, I hate when people are like it's just one of those days. I was like, we need to get out of that. Like, we yeah. need to feel better. And this is one of these things that just makes me laugh and smile because anybody that watches that you can watch this movie completely out of or you can watch that scene completely out of context, not even know what it's about, and just watch it and be like, "Holy fucking <laughs> shit, what is happening?" 
Um, Definitely. But it's so good. Check it out. Uh, there is a there is there is a rip on YouTube. It's ripped from Fox Movie Channel. Um, it's in de- decent quality, and you know we never really send anyone to YouTube and stuff like that unless it's unavailable anywhere else. And this is a movie. Yeah, this is unavailable everywhere. Yeah, it's it's give this thing a watch and and start hounding all these companies to try to at least track it down. Um, this would be perfect for an Arrow release. Perfect, and um, yeah. They would do a great job with this. Like there, there's certain companies I think about. I'm like, oh man, they would do a kick-ass job. I mean, even Vinegar Syndrome would probably do a pretty kick-ass job with this. But who knows where any elements are, man? Because it it, it died on VHS. But it's it's so worth checking out. Um, it, it's it's a lot of fun. And it's weird to be talking about this movie on a horror podcast. I know that some some people will you know be giving a shit about it, but but I think like. Horror movies and even like sex comedies can kind of go hand in hand just because they're always pushing a little bit of an, an envelope with with uh, with certain things and you know I mean I don't know it's just a lot of fun. So any last words, Brad? I we love- need to wrap up. Uh, no, man, I'm I'm good. Just just watch it. Keep these movies alive because yeah. even though we're against piracy and we know a lot of people are, which you should be. These films cannot die. Like we can't let these things go. So they need to be traded they need to be watched they need to be downloaded um because if the company isn't going to releasing release them they will die they yeah. will go away forever and tapes don't last forever this needs so to be right up movies alive yeah and talk about them so fox can be like oh shit people are actually entered inter- interested in something like this so yeah. let's release it at least on fucking dvd or digitally i don't give a fuck just, just release the goddamn movie make yeah. it available to the public other than youtube and I'm cool. I don't yeah. care how you do it, Fox. Just do it. Yeah. No, this thing needs to be right up there with any of the other 80s sex comedies that are popular. It it needs to be right up there with Animal House and Screwballs and Meatballs and everything because it's it's like I think it's as good, if not better, than than those. I mean, I I had a blast. It's one of my favorites. We need to uh, do some shout-outs here, then we need to, to take off. Um, please check out our website, thescreamcast.com, for all of our social media links. Our YouTube channel is going to be more and more active, so definitely make sure you uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Um, we do have more pins. We keep pushing these pins. Um, I, I need to do a friggin' blast online about these and get the word out. But we do have more pins left, and definitely if you're if you're a collector of those... Uh, they're they're awesome. I was showing somebody one of my uh, neighbors the pins in person, and he was you know thought they were really really cool in person. So I'll, maybe I'll try to make them look more tantalizing online. I'll, I'll work on that. Maybe just sell them to your friend. Yeah, yeah. Uh, please check out those who have sponsored our podcast, Vinegar Syndrome, of course. Uh, check them out and buy their movies. We're going to be doing a Vinegar Syndrome show uh, 
soon. I know that you have South by Southwest next week, Brad, so we'll probably do... Get prepared. Get your pens and paper ready. Yep. We'll do some sort of South by Southwest episode. Then after that, we'll start planning our Vinegar Syndrome episode. We're a few, a couple months behind, but so it's going to be packed, but a really fun show. Um, Coffee Shop of Horrors, of course, check them out. I, I don't talk about them as much as I should. I've pared back my coffee drinking, so I'm not, or I'm not ordering from them as much as I, as I used to. But, um, so I'm not, but I'm starting to give, I know our first, uh, our first, um, Patreon, uh, Kevin, is it Kevin McDonald? Kevin McDonald. Was the first person to subscribe to our Patreon, and I didn't realize he's out of country. And I was like, "You get a prize box," and he's going to get some some coffee and, and a couple movies uh, from me. But it's going to cost me a pretty penny to send to him. And I didn't realize, uh, but it's cool, Kevin. Man, thank you so much for being our first patron. Um, you, you are awesome, and you deserve this little gift box. You'll be receiving some grind, uh, some. Coffee Shop of Horrors Coffee. If you want to grab their coffee, uh, Screamcast is the discount code. You get 10% off your order. Uh, of course, we've always mentioned GrindhouseVideo.com. Uh, he's, like I said, if you want stuff ahead of uh, ahead of release date, you you know he's uh, he's your man. Packages everything really well. Um, if you're ever in the area of his store, definitely go. If you're in Tampa, check out the store. It's badass. Uh, huge thank you to Wolfman and Mars for letting us use their music. They opened it up to let me use their music throughout our shows. So you'll be hearing more of their music inter- intertwined between things. You heard a lot on our uh, three-year anniversary episode. And, of course, uh, Kevin Spencer created all the artwork on the website that we use, uh, our logo and everything. So check him out at inkspatters.com. Uh, otherwise... You know, thank you guys so much for supporting the show and listening. Uh, please, please, if you like what we do, check out our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash scream underscore cast. I mean, a buck a month, you're going to, you're going to be in contact with us even more uh, directly than usual because we can use it directly, uh, to communicate with all of you who become a patron, which is great. So, um, of course, I've mentioned the other tiers on there as well. We're going to be doing our first uh, Screamcast late night probably within the next couple weeks. I know we have a couple subscribers. We're going to get with those guys and uh, and and kind of see what topics you know we can cover. Uh, Paul Farrell was one, and uh, I'm looking through all my emails here. Um, uh, Joe Gwynn, thank you guys. You're our first $5 patrons. And then we have uh, um, Edward... Antilla was our three, uh, our three dollar patron. So we got a few of you guys. Thank you so much. We'll be making sure we mention any new patrons that, uh, join up. So thanks all you guys. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next time. Bye bye. Uh, uh. <laughs> oh, don't tell me you're leaving. Honey's just begun.